ain't no reins on this one. Welcome to the Movie Ladder Podcast. We're all about cinematic connections. Each week, we're discussing a movie that connects to the movie from the previous week's podcast. I'm Zach Brooks, and I'm joined, as always, by... Brendan Fitzpatrick. And this week, we're joined by a guest. Once again, this is like four or five weeks in a row that we've had a guest, and I think like six out of seven weeks with a guest, or seven out of eight, something... We've had guests a lot this spring. It's the spring the of guests. Year guest. of the guest. Yeah, year of the guest, podcast of the people. Uh, you may recognize his voice if you listen to our It's a Sin bonus podcast. And that is Kyle Curry. Kyle, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Uh, so last week we talked about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This week due to an Ang Lee connection, we're hanging in there. And we will be discussing Brokeback Mountain from 2005, the Best Picture runner-up in Academy Awards. And then at the end of the podcast, we will decide on our next movie based on connections sent in from you, the listeners, and Austin, your host. We will be spoiling Brokeback Mountain as we're talking about it, and I'm uh, really excited to have this discussion. Glad we have Kyle here for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have not yet seen the movie, it is streaming on Netflix for like two more weeks. I got an alert when yes. I started watching it. So this is leaving May 31st. Never seen that before. Perfect timing by Netflix. us. Yeah, yeah, good timing by us. So on Netflix until the end of the month, check it out on there uh, or wherever it moves to if you're listening in the future, and hopefully the future is good. And... Uh, Yes, we'll be spoiling that. We'll put a timestamp in the show notes if you want to jump to when we start picking for next week. So you can always do that. But of course, we always recommend that you pause this podcast, go watch the movie, come back and listen to the discussion. And make sure you send in your feedback at Ladder Movie on Twitter, the Movie Ladder on Letterboxd, the Movie Ladder at gmail.com on those emails. So, Kyle, welcome back to uh, the podcast. Welcome to the main podcast, not a bonus show this time. I know. I, I feel so happy to be like, fully adopted into the family now absolutely absolutely and um, i'm really excited because I, I believe neither of you have seen this and i've been recommending it for a while I, yeah. I had not seen it before um obviously i've seen bits and pieces from you know various award shows around the time as well as it's one of those movies that constantly comes up on youtube videos of like best movie scenes best cinematography best yada yada you know, like I, I'm a really, I'm a sucker for all those YouTube listicles. So, you know, I've seen bits and pieces, but this is the first time watching it all the way through. Yeah. Do you remember what, uh, Kyle? Do you remember what you set in for Brokeback Mountain? Which you, what movie you suggested it for besides Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I was thinking about that, and I can't remember. Yes. Uh, so I just searched in our handy Google Drive folder. And uh, you've only sent it once. Before. Oh. I think you've told me a bunch of times to watch it. Right. But uh, the only time you've actually officially suggested it was back in episode 56 off of The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Makes sense. And mm. your connection was yep. another Western about somebody living a different kind of false narrative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll come up uh, in the connections later, too. Yes. Sure. Uh, you're going to just connect uh, back to Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. We're just going to mm-hmm. go in this circle over and over again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. We'll be the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance Minute podcast. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so we're going to hop into the best thing that you've been watching this week. Um, Kyle, I know things are busy for you, but have you had a chance to watch anything good this week? Uh, I have. I actually watched for the first time ever uh, Moonstruck. I had never seen nice. it before. And Olympia Dukakis just passed away. So I thought this is a good time to check it out. Uh, and I, I really loved it. It was so weird. Nicolas Cage was so kind of like unhinged in it like he often is and uh, mm-hmm. Olympia Dukakis was I think the highlight of the movie she was hilarious and I feel like I'm coming out of that movie with about five or six quotes that I'll just use 
um, you know, randomly throughout mm-hmm. my day. And I thank Olympia Dukakis for that. Um, that movie's been on my watch list lately, and especially right now because I am actually, after we're finished recording this podcast, I'm going on my brother's movie podcast, the Digesting Cinema Pod. They're talking about Joe versus the Volcano this week, which is one of my all-time nice. favorites. Uh, that is written and directed by John Patrick Shanley, and Moonstruck is written by John Patrick Shanley. There you go. Now connections all over the place. Right, yeah. They don't do connections on that podcast. They do their their podcast is similar to like the Criterion Challenge where they have a mm. challenge list and they just do a different podcast that meets that criteria. So Interesting. Uh, no connections, but it's similar to ours in the fact that it's a weekly movie. Um yeah. Uh, I want to see Moonstruck, so you'd recommend it? Oh yeah, it was it was a blast. It was really a fun watch. Nice. All right, Brendan, how about you? Yeah, so I wanted to recommend uh the twenty eighteen Kristen Johnson documentary camera person um i really really liked this documentary uh if you're not familiar with her work kristen johnson is a cinematographer and director who specializes in documentary film um she's released several documentaries that are really really good and a lot more that are basically um montaged and collaged into one film that became camera person in 2018 um and the, the film is a little all over the place in its narrative. It jumps mm-hmm. between six to eight different documentaries that she's made over her career as a cinematographer. And it's visually breathtaking. Um, you know, and Zach and I talked about this offline. The one thing I wish it had done was provide a little more narrative focus with those and looped all of the um, segments together. And mm-hmm. also... They don't give you the title of of the documentary that she's giving you the clip from until the very end in a giant long credit scroll of documentaries, which I like had to pause so I could like look them up on Letterboxd and add a bunch of them to my to my want to watch list because that's the only way you could do it. (laughs) <laughs> was waiting yeah, until the very I, end. I think that you could probably but, find a list on like Wikipedia or online probably. from where they pulled it. Yeah. I also watched this movie this week because we both had to watch it for the Criterion mm. Challenge. I did not like it. I think I'm in the very small minority of people who didn't like this movie. I really I, liked it. Though. I had been excited for it. It's just, I mean, it was interesting like shots and she's had some really great experiences. It's mm-hmm. very intimate, but it's just kind of like there's no context at all. You're just kind of plopped in there and it's kind of like listening to a greatest hits album from a kind of weird band that you don't know at all. So it, it sounds like I'm going to have to watch it and be the tiebreaker. And then there you go. Yes. Letterbox yeah. to yeah. see uh, how the cards fall there. I mean, most people love this movie. And I, when I first heard about it, I thought it sounded really cool. I just wish there was some narration or something to like, right. what are we seeing? I felt like I was, there needed I was to paging, be a little more context to what yeah, we I felt like I was paging about. through a national geographic magazine, which is I great. Think, it's cool. But I, didn't know what I was looking at, really. I think one of the things that really helped me is that I had already seen a couple of her films, including uh, Dick Johnson is Dead, which came out last year, which is the Mm -hmm. film she made about her father. And her father and mother both feature in segments in this movie, and especially dealing with her mother's struggle with Alzheimer's um, is a prominent, prominent group of segments in the film that sort of work as a precursor to Dick Johnson is Dead or like a backfill of more context for that movie if you've already seen it. So yeah, I that would definitely be a great that. connection yeah. off of Camera Person. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, well, for me, so I watched some yeah. great movies, one of which was Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about that here. I'm going to be talking about that on another podcast. 
but love that movie so much. And I love it again on this rewatch. Uh, I also watched the lion King at a four year old's birthday party, which was very fun. Uh, but that's not the best thing I watched this week. (laughs) And the best thing I watched this week is not because of the movie itself, because the movie was not actually very good, but it was where I watched the movie because I went to a movie theater and I went (gasps) to Spiral, the book of saw a brand new movie in the theater, smell of popcorn and, uh, two other people in the theater at the same time nice. as me. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I did not expect that my return to a movie in the theater would be Spiral, but uh, <laughs> you know, you don't, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I have seen all the movies in the Saw franchise. Um, this one's fun. It's uh, some very gory stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, the Saw uh, franchise. It's nice to have Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson as the two leads in this. So. Uh, if you like the Saw movies, like these, this kind of like kind of popcorn fun, uh, yeah. I would recommend it. But definitely I would definitely not for me. Yeah, not for you. I would definitely yeah. recommend movie theaters. Though. Those are cool. Yeah. There was a um, a gay horror movie that came out in this past year called Spiral as well. So I'd be interested for you to compare Spiral, Zach, right. and see which Spiral wins. Oh, There's actually a gay nightclub in the city where I'm from, also called Spiral. So, which is what oh, I was wow. thinking of when I went and saw this movie. I was like, oh, that's like the club in Lansing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see the other spiral. I am very much looking forward to going to the theater to watch Quiet Place 2 in a few weeks. I did mm-hmm. not realize that came out so soon. I thought that was a few weeks, like months off. I thought it was, uh, I think that will be, that, cause the first one was such a good theater experience. I, I think I've told you this, Zach, just weird side story, but I was at the Art Institute in Chicago looking at, and I was, I, I swear this is true. I was looking at a Kandinsky and I turned around and standing right behind me was John Krasinski and <laughs> Emily Blunt. And oh, wow. uh, I had one of those like ah! moments. It was uh, a Kaczynski and a Krasinski. Exactly. <laughs> so Polish. Um, did you take a picture of him in front of the Kaczynski? Or I didn't. I just spent the whole rest of my time at the art museum feeling awkward and looking over my shoulder and wondering if John Krasinski was around yeah. and just yeah. kind of into a ball. I'm not good at celebrity sightings. I saw, um, oh, now I'm blanking on his name, uh, Dave Franco and Allison Brie at the <laughs> uh, Cinerama Dome in LA when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a couple years ago. Awesome. And I like almost actually started talking to them thinking they were just normies. And then when I realized who they were, I like totally clammed up and I just didn't talk to them at all. <laughs> so, oh, you've uh, been to the Cinerama Dome, Dome before? Yeah. Uh, it's a great place. It's very cool. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to hop right into a Brokeback Mountain um, discussion because, as I said, I got to hop on another podcast shortly here to talk about Joe versus the Volcano. So you won't hear it in the edit, but there's a chance that we're going to split this and record uh, Brokeback Mountain first and then record the connections in a few hours. But it'll be one seamless edited audio experience. Well, well inside movie ladder, underneath yes. the ladder, if you yes. will. But I just I, I say that just because we are. You know, we're not going to rush through this, but there's a lot to discuss. But I don't want to give Brokeback Mountain the short shrift because it is a very culturally important movie and a very well-made movie. Um, and Kyle, why don't you give us uh, your thoughts, your initial thoughts on Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, I think my initial thoughts have to be mentioning kind of like my memories of hearing about the movie because I, it's so weird. There's not really a lot of movies that I can think of like finding out that a movie was going to be a thing. And I have a distinct memory of sitting at a reception desk at a place that I was interning and reading like one of those like daily newspapers that you just pick up on your commute and seeing an article about Brokeback Mountain and and being like, oh my God, this is going to be so amazing. I'm so excited for this. 
And um, like at the time, I think it's important to remember back then there weren't a ton of mainstream movies with big celebrities in them to watch. It was just not a thing. Mm -hmm. And, And back then, you know, it's a lot different than it is now in 2021. The majority of the country was very anti-gay marriage. Uh, there was uh, a lot less um, kind of like basic human rights back then. So it was a huge deal to me. And I, I think that just I've been into mu- movies a long time. I worked at Blockbuster back in the day. Oh, and, so jealous. Um, so uh, I, I just think that like for a gay person, it was such a culturally significant moment in cinema history and in a lot of people's lives too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I remember when this movie came out and I mean, 2005, very different than 2021 watching this. And, uh, it was definitely groundbreaking. And I remember, I mean, I was what, in college and it was, um, you know, I wanted to see it, but I just never kind of got around to it. And, it, and for me, it was like, you know, you know, I'll see it. I'm sure it's supposed to be good. It's nominated for these awards, but it just wasn't the type of movie that, was ever buzzed up to the top of my priority list. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, as I've gotten older and obviously expanded out my movie horizons a little bit, watching a movie that's not necessarily for me is usually something I would like to do. Uh, see camera person, for example, even if I don't like the movie that can take things out of it. So, um, you know, I, and this did become kind of a cultural, I don't even know if I, like touch point, hot button. I mean, I don't know if a hot button isn't the right, because I don't, I mean, you can probably talk more to the controversy. I don't feel like I heard a ton of controversy around it, um, but it might have been my bubble that I'm in. Um, but it was definitely a cultural conversation, especially as it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't listening to Fox News or a lot of the kinds of publications that were saying, like, this indicates the, the end of society as we know it. But mm-hmm. I think even avoiding some of those kind of media pundits i think we all probably saw just really everywhere in mainstream whether it was on tv late night shows our friends everyone made fun of this to some extent even if it wasn't like seemingly super malicious everyone heard a i wish i knew how to quit you joke i remember the uh south park episode where cartman tries to make his own movie about gay cowboys eating pudding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, that's that was what South Park did with it. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's like that's that's how culturally relevant the film was at the time, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, I was a senior in college when this came out. And much like Zach, like I wasn't searching out artsy independent films very often. Like Sin City was one of the main movies I saw in 2005. Um, I don't right. think I saw any of the Best Picture nominees until a couple of years after 2005, except maybe I saw Good Night and Good Luck that year as a history I saw, nerd. I remember I definitely saw Crash that but year. I definitely, because um, I'm, I'm a huge history nerd and like the whole, you know, communist thing from Good Night and Good Luck like really appealed to me. I probably saw that, but I don't think I saw anything else that year. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's like you're, you're sort of not just caught between this generational divide of what movies you go to see, but also like just gay representation in film at all up till very recently has been very biased and very stereotypical. Like, you know, the gay best friend, the gay neighbor, the the Simpsons episodes where Homer has a gay friend and freaks out about it. Like, it's always done in a way to other 
the per the part the uh gay gay person being portrayed, and this was sort of definitely groundbreaking for its time in uh the the gay representation being front and center and making you have to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think back to um you know Philadelphia. I'm sure there were there was a big there was a big movie focused on a, on a gay characters between Philadelphia and Brokeback Mountain, but that's the, kind of the first one that comes to mind is a major movie that had the kind of, um, you know, cultural impact that this one did. Um, and, you know, how would you compare this movie to Philadelphia in terms of gay representation, Kyle? Well, I think that, I, I think that it's just really different, right? It's set mm -hmm. in different time periods. It's mm -hmm. about different content. You know, it's uh, it's just really different. I think that a big difference is you might notice in Brokeback Mountain, they never said the word gay. So, um, you know, that's a big difference from Philadelphia. They you didn't these characters didn't even have the language for it. So I think what's interesting is in my circle of friends, I have gay friends who aren't particularly in love with Brokeback Mountain. I watched it with someone who gave it a 2.5 rating on Letterboxd. He did mm -hmm. increase it to a 3.5 after rewatch and my my strong arming of him You're into understanding why it's so great. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of people in the queer community feel like Brokeback Mountain is a gay movie made by straight people for straight people. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see where they're coming from, but... I, I think that they're wrong. Um, right. Like, if not, if not Brokeback Mountain, then what? Like, somebody has to, something has to exist to bridge that gap. Yeah. Or the quote-unquote normies, you know? Yeah. Like, well, it's and, like, and, yeah, I think that Brokeback Mountain is a very accessible movie. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think that's, I think that's kind of what you're, what you're dancing around there. Um, and yeah, and I'm sure there were other, you know, accessible gay movies between Philadelphia and Brokeback Mountain, but those were uh, 11 years apart. So I think mm. I think Philadelphia was 94, um, you know, so and that was kind of where, where I was going with that question is that, you know, we're 11 years later. How has, you know, has has the representation changed? And I guess I haven't watched Philadelphia in a long time. And obviously, Philadelphia is a very different story than this. Mm. Um, so it's, it's it might be hard to compare them. Um, let's uh, just get into the movie overall. So, you know, Kyle, what do you think of the cast? I mean, you just talked about, you know, uh, that some of your friends say this is a gay movie made by straight people for straight people. Mm -hmm. So it stars Heath Ledger, who before this point was kind of like teen heartthrob, 10 things I hate about you, uh, a night's tale. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of other things that he was in. Uh, the Patriot, I think was before yeah, this. The Patriot came out. Right um, yeah. So he was like the, I feel like he was like tiger beat around this time yeah. um and jake gyllenhaal which donnie darko i'm trying to think like yeah, jake gyllenhaal was best known for before this movie mostly uh, donnie darko and being that weird guy in donnie darko and being the bubble boy mm -hmm. like, right i mean he yes. was most culturally known as up to this point being the bubble boy yeah you know um so what do you think of the casting of these two as our lead characters as, as jack and ennis in this movie? i I mean, I think the casting's great. I think that they did take a career risk. They didn't know how mm -hmm. it was going to be received, how it was mm -hmm. how it would turn out. I think at the time it it was a risk. Um, I think that there were probably other actors. I don't know the details, but I bet there were actors that were asked and passed it up because it was 
would have been a career risk. So uh, I think that they, I, I personally think they did a great job. Mm-hmm. I wish that there had been more amazing A-list Hollywood out actors that mm-hmm. could have um, taken the roles, but that doesn't personally concern me all that much. Um, and it was a different time. There weren't as many out actors. So I think they did a great job. Yeah. Uh, was there anybody else rumored for this that you know I'm, about? I bet there was, but, uh, you know, not off the top of my head. Nothing nothing comes to mind, yeah. Um, and, of course, how could I forget that Jake Gyllenhaal was in uh, The Day After Tomorrow just a year before Brokeback Mountain? Oh, yeah, I, love, I love The Day After Tomorrow. I, I love those disaster <laughs> movies. I just I was watching the trailer for, uh, I think it's called The Ice Road that just came out today. Oh, man. And just that kind of, like, stupid, brainless <laughs> disaster movie. I'm, I'm excited to stream that one. Mm-hmm. Ice Road Truckers, the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, it... I definitely was impressed with Heath Ledger's performance. And mm-hmm. I think Heath Ledger is this performance is probably overshadowed a little bit by the Joker because that's kind of his career defining a couple mm-hmm. years after this. Right. It was the one he died during the filming of, um, or after. I guess it was after. after the movie. Yeah. After the movie, but, uh, you know, his last role, his last major role. Won the, won the posthumous Oscar. And right. yeah, yes. I mean, um, it, but I think in this, especially his performance. He's just, mm. we see a lot of storm imagery in this and he mm. is a storm. He is this yeah. like thunderous cloud that is quiet. He's mumbly. Like, I didn't know if he had like cotton balls in his mouth most of the time or how he was, he's doing that, but it's like, he has a big wad of dip in every time that he's talking. Yeah. He probably does have a big wad of dip in a lot of the time. Um, and, but then he just has these moments of explosion. The first one being, you know, when he's in the alleyway after Jack drives away after after their time on Brokeback Mountain. Um, mm. And then the other uh, the blow up in the kitchen. I mean, these he has some very significant moments where things just simmer. Yeah. Um, but he also has these this range of going so quiet with it as well. So I was I was super impressed with Heath Ledger in this movie. Yeah, I think he had a lot to work with with his character. Mm. Too. It's just like a lot of nuance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal, I thought was good. He's, I feel like we, I mean, this really, you don't realize it, I guess, until the end that you're really watching Ennis's story. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, I, I, I guess as you watch it, you realize you're staying with Ennis most of the time, but it's not until Jack's character is killed. And then we're with Ennis in that last scene in the trailer mm-hmm. that we realized this, this was kind of, um, I would say this is like the there will be blood of Ennis, right? We're we're following this character for 20 years and his relationship with Jack and how it grows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we check in bits and pieces with Jack along the way, but it really is Ennis's story, Ennis's family's reaction to learning his story. And then, you know, you, you get a few moments stand out of Jack along the way, but it's mostly dealing with the emotional rise and fall and rise and fall of Ennis throughout the 20 years. And um, yeah, I thought both perform- both lead performances from Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger were phenomenal. Um, yeah, and especially Heath Ledger. It's just like so emotional and so moving and like you're, you're wanting him to be a better person, but you understand the conflict and kind of why he is the way he is throughout it. Like you totally get it, but you're you're like rooting for him to, you know, like not be quite such an asshole sometimes to like well, I don't his even daughter know. or to yeah. the girl he's dating or to but you totally get why he is. And 
that's something I really appreciated. Like, it really didn't pull its punches with showing his really dark and moody side. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't even think that he's an asshole. Um, I don't think I would describe him like that at all. I think in, we see that, you know, we see the the one flashback in this movie to him as a child where he sees the, the man who's been beaten mm-hmm. um, and right. that that affects him as a gay man um, that he doesn't want to act on these feelings. Right. Um, or he, you know, he doesn't want to publicly act on these feelings. Yeah. Yes. And he's, which is something we talked about with, uh, with Crouchy Tiger and Dragon. There's repressed mm-hmm. feelings of love in that movie as well. But, um, yeah, I think that they, they do a good job with with giving you that backstory for uh, for Ennis. Mm-hmm. What do you what are your thoughts on the kind of the character progress of Ennis, Kyle? Speak on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I, in, in my opinion, it's really it's really well done and it's tragic. Like, I feel like there's a lot of Romeo and Juliet elements here. The mm. star-crossed lovers that it, it doesn't give you a happy ending. You know, I don't think that Ennis is going to, after the end of this movie, is going to go find like his next Jack Twist and be happy. Um, but I think that um, it shows a realistic portrayal of some gay people in rural America that didn't have education, that didn't have any kind of context for the feelings they were going to, and mm-hmm. probably like being realistic to their experience, which I think is, is fantastic. And there, there was like zero support structure or anything, and especially zero context for someone living not just in the place they were, but in the time they were in the early 60s to the 70s, like, It's not like they could just go to San Francisco and suddenly figure out what it means to be gay. Like, they they have a life that they feel like they have to leave and can't, can't have to live and can't leave. I I think, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, Brennan. I think it's important to think of this movie in the kind of, like, timeline of, Mm -hmm. of kind of gay rights history. Because this movie, start. this story starts in 1963. So... From 1950 to 1963, like gay rights really was secret societies in major cities. It wasn't something Mm -hmm. Wyoming. Right. And so when you're thinking of the timeline of this movie, which is about 20 years from 63 to 83, um, sodomy was illegal in Wyoming until 77. Um, Anal sex was illegal until 82. Um, And then it it blows your mind to think like Matthew Shepard was killed in 1998 in wyoming so when you're thinking of wyoming's timeline for gay rights it's really striking mm-hmm. and that the matthew shepherd i that was the first thing i wrote down when i realized this movie took place in wyoming yeah. um is because that was where matthew shepherd was killed yeah. and in laramie right the laramie project is what we're talking about um for those that don't have the context uh, that's the play that was based off of the matthew shepherd story um yeah. And that happened in Laramie, Wyoming. Yeah. Um, do you think was that did that? I mean, I guess this is based on um, was it based on a true story? I know it's based on a short story. Yeah, um, it's it's not based on a true story. It's based on a short story by Annie Prue. Mm-hmm. Um, I would P.S. recommend anyone who's interested to go and check it out. It's only 26 pages. It's a really short read. And I think that it is the the like the original source material to screen like most 
kind of like the the adaptation that honors the source material better than anything that I've ever seen. So highly, highly recommended everyone go and check that out. But it wasn't based on a real story. But Annie Prue did talk to a lot of um, kind of gay cowboy type folks that had similar stories to these characters. And I know Heath and Jake were given by Ang Lee um, books mm-hmm. written by and about gay cowboys kind of to prime them for their roles. Yeah, it was, uh, it did win the best adapted screenplay at the Oscars uh, adapted by the great novelist Larry McMurtry and Diana Asada um, based on the short story by, by Eddie Prude. So yeah, there you go. They won best adapted screenplay. So that's fantastic. Almost every line of dialogue from the movie was straight from the short story, the 26-page short story. They really only added a couple of scenes, and they really only left out, like, maybe one big thing from the short story. So it's it's really great. So the short story is almost complete. Like, they took a 26-page story and blew that out into a two-hour and 15-minute movie. It didn't add a whole bunch of stuff? Correct. If anybody can, it's Larry McMurtry. I mean, if you've seen Lonesome Dove, I mean, that's, like, if you've read Lonesome Dove or seen Lonesome Dove, there's a lot of that in this, in the slow moving shots across the plains, the beautiful wilderness, the, you know, horseback riding, the cattle rustling, the storms off in distance, the panning shots across mountains. Like that's all just straight up wearing the grocery stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's how you get a 26 page short story into a two hour movie is you give it to Larry McMurtry and say, here, embiggen this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. the only the only real major scene that was added to the movie that wasn't in the short story was the Thanksgiving scene with mm-hmm. Jack and uh his wife and father in law and kid. Okay. Yes. Uh, and let while we're on that, uh Lorraine Newsom, played by Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if this was the movie that started the like half a hate we're not, um, but like, A, she's kind of awful in this, but also she looks more and more ridiculous every time we check back in with her. Her hair has gotten more crazy and more ridiculous. Uh, and, and that did provide, like, there was some moments of levity in this, mostly uh, surrounding Jack. I feel like Jack brought the, you know, I compared, I compared to Ennis to a storm. Jack kind mm. of brought that cloud or that, screwed it up. Jack kind of brought that sun behind Ennis's cloud often. Right. Um, and you know, that, that imagery is throughout, but you know, he's, he's the, he's the rodeo clown, right? He's the fun, mm-hmm. he's the fun guy. Um, and I feel like his scenes have, have the levity, whereas Ennis's are, are really heavy. Yeah. At least till the end, obviously. Um, yeah, it, it's funny too. Uh, this movie stars a whole lot of people who go on to be, uh, villains in comic book movies. So we got Heath Ledger, got Jake Gyllenhaal. And Anne Hathaway, who ended up playing Catwoman. And, oh, yeah, Lord. Batman. And, and you've yeah. got Randy Quaid, who just turned out to be a villain in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's, 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 he's a real life out of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. A regular villain. Uh, what a apparently terrible Anna Ferris was in this movie, too, but I oh, yeah. did not. She's did one not of the da- grown up version of one of the daughters, right? She's Alma Jr. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, and, Alma Jr. is uh, Kate, uh, Mara. Kate Mara. Yeah, it's Kate Mara. Zoe Mara. She's the girlfriend at the end, she's the other girlfriend. Right? Uh, no, Anna that Ferris. was Linda Carnellini. Oh, Linda... well, I don't know. I don't know who anyone yeah. is in this movie. Then. Right. <laughs> yeah, <I don't... laughs> uh, Anna Ferris was LaShawn Malone, but I don't know who LaShawn Malone was in this movie. I'm just I'm just looking at the cast uh, 
right now. Oh, Anna Ferris was the wife of David Harbour. That's who she was. So, oh, okay. Of David Harbour. So. You only see her in like one scene. Yeah. When he when he tells Jack that he wants to take him up to the mountains and mm-hmm. yeah. Do some stranger things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did, did, morning uh, I mean, it, coffee and contemplation. It is implied that David Harbour and Jack have a relationship. They talk about going fishing. Right. Uh, Kyle, was that your read that they do have? I mean, Jack says that he's seen other people in between the, the uh, you know, once I, a year that he sees Ennis. I think it's really heavily implied. Um, and you get kind of that that validation at the end when Ennis is visiting Jack's parents. And his dad was like... You know, he always talked about bringing Ennis Del Mar up here and whipping the ranch into shape. And then last year he started talking about bringing this other rancher up. Yeah. And so that's kind of the implication. Mm, yeah. And is the is the implication that it's David Harbour's character that killed him at the end or oh, I not don't to completely so. jump to the end? That was I was I was a little unclear because it happened so fast. Yeah. I, and I think that I think that the the unclarity is the point. Right. Yeah. Um, then it shouldn't matter who did it because yeah. the point is that it happened. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't think it was unclear at all. I actually thought it was a little bit too uh oh. too clear. I wish they didn't show the flash uh, and you would just hear her talking and it's implied that she's making up the story about the tire going out and, and yeah. smashing his face. Um, because especially, you know, I had Matthew Shepard on the mind as I'm yeah. watching this movie. And so you know, I didn't know what was going to happen at the end, but I knew something tragic was going to happen. Yeah, I was waiting kind of. It was going to go one of tragic. one of two ways, and I wasn't sure about the timeline with AIDS in America if it was going to be that they di- that one of them was going to die of AIDS or not. Um, yeah. So what's really interesting is the first time, and I feel kind of silly about this. The first time I watched it, I thought, "Oh, he died of, from this tire accident," and Ennis is just imagining this hate mm-hmm. crime death, uh-huh. but. It really was a tire accident. And then afterwards, I was talking to my friends and they're like, no, were you watching the same movie as us? It clearly was a hate crime. And a while back, I did listen to a different queer podcast talking about Brokeback Mountain. And all of the gay people on that show said, oh, at least he didn't die from a hate crime. So at least I wasn't the one that felt that way. Um, But in in my opinion, I think what makes it great is that, like, you you don't actually know. Like, you Mm -hmm. can't. Um, you can assume, but like, was that scene of the hate crime in Ennis's mind or not? Um, in the, in the short story, I'll let you know that, um, he was really, he was unclear. Ennis was like, well, it probably was a hate crime, but who knows? But then the scene where he's talking to the the dad and the dad says, Oh, and then last year, this other rancher, he was going to come up with this other rancher. And the line in the short story is like, well, now Ennis knew that it was the tire iron and not an accident. Right. Mm. The, the short story, I think kind of makes it clear that Ennis ends up in a place where he thinks that it was a hate crime and not a freak accident. I actually really, now that you're talking about that, I kind of like the read that, it was his that that was his mind imagining and then that's not them showing us what happened mm-hmm. because it does it it does kind of lend to Ennis's biggest fear stems from that day when he was 10 years old and he saw the man who was the victim of the hate crime that he assumes was his father and yeah. he's and because of that he is this smoldering repressed quiet internal person and can't show his emotions can't let things out and his biggest fear is this happening to him 
Um, yeah. And so what he hears about something that could be that, his mind immediately, you know, it's like you have like, you know, in the last year, every time I coughed, I was like, oh my God, it's COVID, right? right. And it's the same type of thing, right? Where you hear something, you're like, well, that has to be the hate crime, whether it is or it isn't. Um, I just assumed it was, but I actually think the read that it wasn't, and he, this is just his, his mind going to the darkest place is uh, a really interesting way for that end to be, mm-hmm. uh, to be read. Yeah. And I, I agree. I well, think this, I think that everyone feels like Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. was the, probably the weakest link of the four. I didn't hate her, but I kind of liked that, that last scene that she was in where mm-hmm. she was having that conversation and you, you could kind of like she's dealing with the death of her husband. You could kind of tell that she kind of knew the she stuff knows. Yeah. Thing going on. And that that kind of can be explained in the fact that she continues to try to change herself to make him happy and make herself attractive to him. Like you can. Ah. So that's sort of your implication that she knows to some degree that he's not attracted to her in the <laughs> way that he should be and because she mm-hmm. continues to try to change herself physically to make herself attractive to him. And, and, and so when I said that she looked more and more ridiculous each time, it's actually, there's a reason for her looking hundred percent on purpose. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, okay, um, like that. To, to, to go back real quick to the, to the imagine, to the imagination thing, my only fear with that would be is that that sort of lets the mood puts, puts the onus on Ennis, the onus on Ennis that <laughs> it's in his head instead of hate crimes actually happening to <laughs> gay people you know what i mean like that to to a degree it feels like that that's the movie if it's all in his head that's the movie letting the audience off the hook of feeling guilty about any perceived notion they have about hate crimes to a degree like at least in my interpretation yeah like i know i i can agree with that but i think it also adds to the tragedy of ennis like, sure. he doesn't know for sure. He's pretty right. convinced that it was this hate crime. And it was just like he thought. It was just like what happened when his dad showed him this body. Um, but it's something that he's going to, he's going to have to live with so much uncertainty and so much, like, unfulfilled promise to their relationship. And that's just one additional facet of it. Yeah, that's that's really tragic because he'll never know. There's right. no way that's, for him that's to ever find out whether, whether it was a tire iron or not. I mean, I guess he could go to Laureen and someday she could tell him. But that's the only way he could ever find out Uh, because even jack's body he can't even see jack's body because it's ashes um so yeah that's that's really tragic um and it does feel like you know in in a way ennis is validated in his like yes i am supposed to keep repressing repressing my emotions Mm -hmm. living the way that i am because i do not want you know i don't want this to happen so the only way i can you know protect myself is by being this smoldering internal person um at least until that last scene. Um, and I think we could probably talk about the last scene in the trailer now because, mm-hmm. so, you know, and Ennis goes, he sees, uh, he sees Jack's parents and he, he finds the shirt, which he thought that he left up on Brokeback Mountain way back in, uh, way back in 1963. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes that back to his trailer. His daughter comes and visits him, tells him that she's getting married. And at first he, uh, I, I really like this, that, that, that he's his excuse for not having these relationships, not being open and close with people is always, I got to work. And mm-hmm. it's always, it's, it's, it's something that you see a lot, but the it was really effective here that he just uses that as like his, you know, nope, sorry, I got to work. I can't come to your wedding. I can't be here for this emotional moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it does feel like he's at this point, Jack is speaking to him and he's realizing the regret he has that he missed out on all this time with Jack 
because of these weak excuses uh, to not to not uh, express his emotions. And that by the end of the movie, you know, he said when he says, I swear that he's really saying, like, I swear I will be better. I will change and I will I will I will be emotional. He also he also sort of realizes in that moment that while he was spending all this time working, he wasn't just neglecting his time with Jack, but he was really like not allowing himself to have a relationship with his with his children. And he's like a he I, re- I mean he really is a shitty dad. I mean he's a real bad dad. Get like, in line and it's, it's not uh, you know there's exactly a whole bunch, like there's a whole bunch of shitty dads I mean, in this movie. Th- this is the shitty dad year for the movie ladder mm-hmm. and Ennis is right up there. Yeah. I mean and he I mean he tries but barely sometimes. Do you and, feel I mean, like it's really sad. Like it's really really sad to watch. Yeah, Kyle, do you feel like there's a ray of sunshine at the end of this movie for Ennis or do you think it's think it's so. that storm? I, you know, I don't have a ton of optimism for Ennis at the end of this movie now. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Um, I, I'd like I to did. believe he can change, but I don't also think that it's, he might show up to the wedding, but then he'll probably never talk to his daughter for another five years. You know? I don't know. I thought it could be the start of, I mean, I guess I, I, I'm putting it in the 2021 you know? time, probably, where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah he goes there. He's, he's accepted by people. Um it's, which is probably not the case. I, I guess you're right. I think that the, there is a possibility. Like, it seems like he cares about his daughter and it seems like he's going to try and make the effort. So I think that as far as like having a relationship with his daughter, that is something that, that might happen. So that probably is what the filmmakers intended, that there was some okay. optimism, at least for that kind of relationship. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I think visually we see a sunny field right mm-hmm. through the window of the trailer, but literally and you know again maybe i'm reading too much into the the visuals here but literally we're seeing it in a box we're seeing it through the window and so it is this sunshine but it is still boxed in and ennis is still there might be some sunshine but he still will be boxed in uh for a lot of his life and for me the emotion that i'm left with with the final line being i swear is like you swear what what do you swear yes (laughs) to me it feels like he he's got the emotion he's acknowledging it it's clear that he's filled to the brim with this emotion but he doesn't have the words or the understanding to express it or do anything with it or make his life better and he's just stuck with kind of like this history of all of the choices that led to this place where he doesn't have jack yeah he doesn't have much of anything i mean he even says to his daughter uh alma jr that he you know, she says you need some furniture. He says like something like don't don't have, don't need. The only thing he's really got is this shirt and jacket that he got from Jack's house. Mm-hmm. Um, the only and thing of significance that he has. I think it's a good time to bring up what what is probably the most iconic scene from the movie and and one of my favorites, which is the scene where Jack and him have that huge altercation. And Jack says the most iconic line of the movie, which is I wish yeah. I to quit you right i think the best line of the movie came before that when jack said you know the truth is sometimes i miss you so hard i can't stand it mm-hmm. um, but that kind of like culmination of their angst and uh and Anna saying well i can't meet with you again until november that's just how it is and your trip to Mexico. And then when Jack kind of fights back and is breaking down because he like can't stand up anymore. Like he's <laughs> so overcome with the sadness of it all. I think it's an incredible scene. 
Yeah, yeah it it mm-hmm. was really great, and that was one of the I didn't mention that when I talked about Ledger, but the way that he does collapse is uh, that's an, an image that'll stick with me. I think right by the I mean again Absolutely. with this beautiful scenery which we have for like the whole first hour of the movie is gorgeous, mm-hmm. and they're out they're back at the mountain right by the the stream, and he falls over in front of this imagery, um, and it's so beautiful, but it's so sad, and, um, and he's he's. You know, this is, and again, this is not like over a couple months, right? This is not a right. summertime romance or anything like that. This is, you know, which was not something I was expecting with this movie. I had no idea this movie was going to traverse 20 years. Mm-hmm. I thought we were getting a, a love story. I thought they were going to go back up there a couple summers in a row right. to work at this ranch. Mm-hmm. And that was where yeah, we were, that was where the, the plot was going to go. I did not realize that we were going to, you know, I said there will be blood. I was trying to think of some good movies as connections that are like movies that tell the story over, you know, a 20 year uh, time frame like that. Because it 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 shows um, it, it kind of reminds me of you know like Boyhood almost in a way too mm-hmm. where we're seeing twenty years over two hours yeah. and you miss from when this little baby is a toddler barely walking to now she's a you know twenty year old getting married mm-hmm. right you you see her like two or three times throughout this and how much time was missed and it just went by like that. And that's one of the things that movies can do is really hammer home that idea that time can pass so quickly. And that's what I think boyhood does really well. uh, Um, Yeah. The, the two things that I think are good to share about the short story, because they're my two, the two things that I was saddest didn't make it into the movie. And the first is in that scene, you know, after the big fight, it flashes back just momentarily to back in 1963, where they're standing by the fire and they're holding each other. And um, what's interesting is in the short story, like the movie, it really is focused on Ennis's experience and his emotions. But in that flashback scene, it actually flashes back in the same way in the short story, but it's mm. kind of from Jack's perspective. And it said that that kind of like sexless encounter where it was just holding each other, where it was just kind of like being there for each other, in Jack's mind was the best their relationship ever was. And it what it was that that moment that he was always longing for throughout the 20 years. And I think that that, that like gives me shivers. Makes sense. About that. Mm-hmm. So then um, that also brings a sadness to their relationship over the course of 20 years is that they never really got a moment that compared to the very first summer they spent to eat with each other, mm-hmm. no matter how many times they tried to revisit it. And yeah. make it the same. They could never get back. They could never get back to Birthdeck Mountain. It's like exactly, it's, yeah. And it's really, really sad to think about. Like it's because when they do see each other, it's the passion, right? You think right. of when exactly. they first see each other after that long break, mm-hmm. and they just can't. And at that point, I was a little bit like, okay, guys, like you're right in front of his house, and you're just like start making out. Yeah. Um, and exactly. I get that there was this like intense passion that they were so happy to see each other. Um. But like the logic in my brain was like, uh, yeah, that's actually something I wrote down: romance versus passion, or love versus passion. It's like a huge thing in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if we see other moments of love between them versus passion. There was a moment in the hotel room, right, Mm -hmm. where they're kind of cuddling. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's the the other scene from the short story that I wanted to bring up because there was a line that was cut out of that scene in the movie that was in the short story that had Ennis telling Jack about that time when he was driving away from Brokeback the first time and he had to pull over and 
he felt like he was going to get sick in the alley. He mm-hmm. actually admits that to Jack in the short story and says, oh. I never should have let you go, which mm-hmm. I think is like, sometimes you can, can wonder if Jack had as intent or that Ennis had as intensive emotions as Jack. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's really clear that he had as it as intensive yeah. emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So I want to touch on a couple other things as we're, uh, and then we'll get to some feedback. Um, and definitely want to leave room for anything you want to make sure we bring up. But I, I think that we've talked a lot about some great stuff in this movie, but we haven't talked at all about the time on Brokeback Mountain, which is the first like 50 minutes or mm-hmm. so of this movie uh, is that first summer that they're on there. Those first couple months um, and, you know, visually looks amazing. I mean, you know, between the the storms, the the river, the brook that we're mm-hmm. seeing. It's um, gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I really like the way that it's shot. It reminded me a lot of. Um, some other movies we've seen recently, like Nomad Land, mm-hmm. um, just the way that nature, no that, land. The, the, yeah, the big sky uh, mm-hmm. of the West out there. Um, and beautiful. and I did wonder, though, um, you know, so they they have that first night together. And to me, that sort of came out of nowhere. Like I knew watching this movie, I'm looking for that spark to start between them or like them to kind of be uh be intrigued by each other and and start to feel these emotions but i felt like i did not get that i mean it was 30 minutes it was 30 minutes in and for that 30 minutes i was like incredibly relieved that they weren't rushing to it so i thought it like i thought it actually paced out the first 30 minutes really really well until the big storm where they're in the tent and they have their first encounter like I, I actually I actually thought it was paced really well. Um, yeah, I I will um, say, number one, that I agree with you. When I think of this movie, my first thought, the first emotion that comes mm-hmm. to me are the first few scenes, that incredible score and mm-hmm. like how much solitude that you feel in in those scenes and how much removal from society you feel. Um, I think that that really kind of impacts the character's development as well. Absolutely, because you're, uh, you're so lonely, you're just searching for any kind of connection. I mean, these it's two guys and 500 sheep, yeah. you know, and it's <laughs> like you're being sent to this mountain for an entire summer to just hang out with a bunch of sheep and see the orders are to see each other like once or twice a day for meals. And it's like, nobody can live like that. Like, that's, it's, it's also, like being in prison in the wide open countryside. Like it's, but I also think yeah. for Ennis, especially, and we don't really know about for Jack, mm. but for Ennis, this is the only place where he feels like he can be like this because right. he's so afraid of what he saw as a kid that yeah. it wasn't until he is in this place where he doesn't think anybody can see them, which is not right because Randy Quaid's character right. does end up seeing them. Uh, right. But this is the only way, and it takes a month for him to, break out of that shell what i'm saying is is it's not the amount of time that it took to get there it was more that there weren't any hints between them there were no like glances where you're like oh they look like they're like interested in each other checking each other like feeling each other out like even when you see that with david harbour's character and jack later i disagree with that with jack i mean i thought i saw i mean i thought there were several times where in the first 30 minutes or so where jack is looking longingly at like at Ennis and trying to figure out, like, I mean, I could see, I could definitely see, um, Jake Gyllenhaal playing it. Like, yeah. 
I, you're you're totally right, Brendan. There's the scene where he's at the very beginning where he's shaving in the mirror and he's looking at Ennis. And he's looking at Ennis out of the corner of his eye, like checking mm. him out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's the kind of like sexually charged scene where Ennis gets naked and is washing yeah. in the bucket. Um, yeah. I feel like you're right. There's less of Ennis checking Jack out. But I think that what's different is Jack is obviously like a little bit more sexually advanced. Mm. Short story actually makes it clear that Ennis hadn't had any sex with men, but Jack had. Um, But I think that what's um, what's interesting about Ennis is the way that he opens up emotionally in a way that he probably hasn't done when they're having a conversation together. And Jack was like, that's the most you you've said out here. And he was like, that's the most that I've said in a year. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. I think that, that, that kind of emotional intimacy is something really different than sexual intimacy, but they gave a lot of signs of Ennis opening up emotionally in, uh, in a way that he hadn't before. And I think that that was pretty obvious. Okay, that that makes in that yeah I I did forget about that line that was a very good line, mm-hmm. um and I, that was there were some looks between them and I think that's actually one of the gifs if you look up Brokeback Mountain on Twitter uh, is like the like goofy smiles they kind of give each other during that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so uh, let's see some other things I want to touch on. Uh, Terrible Fathers, obviously a theme throughout this year of mm-hmm. movie ladder, but uh, specifically. I mean, there are what five terrible fathers. Even both characters are terrible fathers, yeah. and they both, both have characters. terrible father-in-laws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they have bad father-in-laws. Um, in Jack's father, we don't meet him until the end. He's mm. terrible. I mean, um, was the terrible father theme? We don't know that Jack's father was all that terrible. He's just grieving, and you don't yeah. really know. I mean, uh, I don't think we spend enough time with him, but you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah, well, I, I mean, we spend as much time with him as we do with Ennis's father. Um, and the way that he treats, I don't know, maybe he's maybe he's more accepting than I'm getting credit. No? Okay. Kyle, so, you're shared. That, that is the biggest thing that was cut out of the short story, okay. movie, which is really interesting, was that Jack's father was incredibly abusive and, oh, like, okay. pissed all over him and then made oh, him wow. clean it up. So it was, like, okay, a really... Okay, so never mind. I'll take it back. Yeah. What a dirt. What a dick. Uh, <laughs> so... It's funny because the that house uh, with Jack's parents yeah. was so strikingly white. Yeah, and I was, was trying thinking. to figure out why. I mean, that was not a normal looking house. It was so white. Right. And the only thing that really stands out is the cross on the wall. So I get what the cross yeah. on the wall is for. But why was that house so like brand spanking white? See, that that's a good point. I... Probably to symbolize purity or cleanliness. I don't know. It, it also felt like very barren to me. It right, felt like, it, yeah. very empty, you yeah. know, not like emotionless. It just felt like a sad, sad establishment. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing in Jack's room. Like, that's the saddest part. Like, there's, yeah. we left it just the way he left it. And there's like nothing in there. Like, you're, ex- you're going in there and expecting him to open the door and there'd be like a ton of things in there. There's nothing. It's like, mm-hmm. There's a wooden desk and there's yeah. the shirt. Yeah, that's it. Uh, there's the bloody shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was interesting to see that because we knew so little about Jack throughout this mm. movie, about his backstory. We know so much more about Ennis's and we know what happens to Jack after Brokeback Mountain. But we don't mm. we know he used to be a rodeo cowboy. He does talk about his father used to be a rodeo cowboy, too, and that yeah. his father. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said about it, that his father was better at it than him or made fun of him for doing it. I can't remember exactly what he said. He does talk about his father early on 
uh, as a rodeo uh, rodeo clown or rodeo cowboy. I, I think that we also know about Jack that he is a like he is a little bit more willing to push past the status quo and mm-hmm. to say like this is what I want and I'm a little bit more self-aware. I think mm-hmm. he was just a little bit more self-aware. I think a really like easy scene to miss is when um, they're talking about beans and mm-hmm. uh, Ennis is like whatever I'm fine with the beans and Jack's like I'm not content with this. I'm just fine with beans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not gonna... yeah. Beans suck, guys. And I wouldn't want to be I actually have that written <laughs> down. Like I don't want to be stuck all summer on Brokeback Mountain just eating beans. No, give me something else, please. No fun. I eat a lot of beans. I like beans. beans They're good. <laughs> um Kyle, what do you think? Beans good or bad? No, they're the they're the musical fruit. Yeah, I love yeah. Beans. No good. Yeah. Um uh was Ennis, were Ennis's daughters twins? I was trying to figure out the timeline because uh, one no, year I think they were kids. Irish twins, so they're like, so they're like fifteen months apart. Okay. Yeah. I thought that Ennis's daughters, the way that that was handled, was interesting because we get more yeah. Alma Junior. Obviously, she's played by the great Zoe Barnes. Uh, the other daughter, we really don't see after she's a toddler. Mm-hmm. We see like the side of her, I think, at one point. We see but... her on the swing set one time, and then we see her once as a teenager but yeah you don't really but it's interesting and it's also interesting that the one that we see more of that is obviously the one that ennis is closer to is not i mean it she is junior she's not ennis junior she's alma junior which you also don't see daughters that are named junior very often yeah so i read that as kind of she is she's supposed to be ennis junior she's just they that's why they can just call her junior and she's the one who's the most like ennis uh, and that's why he can connect to her was that your guys' read as well on that yeah i would say that yeah, I think they probably were playing up those at least Alma Jr. to give you that moment of sunshine at the end that you were referring mm-hmm. to, Zach. I think that was added specifically for like the audience to not feel totally crippling depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I, I also think that it's interesting that they had the kids and then, um, you know, Ennis stopped having intimacy in a way that could produce kids with Alma. <laughs> he changed it up in a way that they were still being intimate, but uh, in the way that he liked, but not the way they could make babies. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, like she also said that she, you know, do you, I only want to have your kids if you're actually going to support them. And that's the mm-hmm. point at which he mm-hmm. stops trying with her. Right. Yeah. 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 We haven't talked about Alma at all played by Michelle yeah, Williams. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's the one who discovers them first. And there is yep. a very interesting component to her character where she knows what's going on. Every time that he leaves, she knows why he's leaving. You know, she she says that she puts the, you know, the, the note in his fishing well. supplies, but she doesn't need that confirmation. She knows what's yeah. going on. She's just um, trying to get him to admit it and admit to who he really is and actually show some, like, actual... I don't know what I don't know what her end goal is with it, but I think it's she's trying to get him to like freaking admit who he is. I don't see. I don't think she's I that mean, accepting of him. This is I, if this was twenty twenty one, maybe. But in nineteen sixty three, she also stays with him for twenty years. I mean, yeah, I think I think because she wants him to change. Right. I think every time that he goes, it's letting her down. Right. And it only happens once a year. So then he has, you know, nine months where he's with her and he's not seeing other men during this time. Um, but then, every, you know, it's like he breaks her heart every, you know, every couple months or every year. She's disgusted by him. The, mm-hmm. Like, 
it, it comes across as a little bit funny, but her line when she's talking about the, the tackle box where she's mm-hmm. like, Jack twist, Jack nasty. Like right. she's, she really is disgusted by it all. But um, I, I think just like all the other characters, there's not the like language to talk about it. There's not the right. understanding That's of funny. it. And so, yeah, you just want it to be like, just stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ray, uh, Michelle Williams, uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this role. Um, I thought she was really fantastic. Um, she lost to Rachel Weisz in The Costume Gardener, also nominated that year Amy Adams for Junebug, Catherine Keeter for Capote, and Frances McDormand for North Country. So, I mean, that's a really strong crop of actor actresses she was against and i mean i i'm fine with her now winning but i I did really like her performance i thought she was i thought she was really good i think that that is a good transition to a question that i have (laughs) for you all which is crash beat brokeback mountain (laughs) yeah well let's let's do the actor and supporting actor first um so jake gyllenhaal lost to george clooney in syriana uh also nominated matt dillon for crash paul giamatti for Cinderella and William Hurt for History of Violence. Yeah. I would take Gyllenhaal's performance over all four of those other guys. hundred hundred times out of Yeah, it's hard to the performances is hard for me to think through. It's hard. Right but, now, because I have having not seen the movies. But I do think the Crash versus Brokeback Mountain Best Picture. Um, you know, that is the the debate. I don't know if there were other movies nominated in 2005. I feel like Crash is the one that everybody says, you know, like. Yeah. That until Green Book came out was like the, oh, my God, I can't believe this movie won Best Picture. Right. And your your other noms are Capote, Good Night and Good Luck in Munich. Um, all fine movies. But, yeah, I mean, Brokeback Mountain probably should have most, de- you know, definitely beaten Crash. Yeah, I'd be curious <laughs> if they re if they revoted now on these Oscars what would happen I, I do remember when i saw crash in 2005 i thought it was really well done because mm-hmm. i at that time was a sucker for hyperloop movies or hyper uh what is that we you, we did them last year uh yeah, hyperlink. Yeah. hyperlink that's it not hyperloop hyperlink movies yes and i was like oh this is like saying some things that i you know oh i get that i get what it's saying because i was you know 20 years old um but this visually much more stunning and there is a complexity to this that does not exist in Crash. Absolutely. And for me, and it's not like I've seen every Oscar-nominated movie ever, but what I've seen, this is the like biggest wrong call mm-hmm. of Oscar history based on my viewing history. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the Oscars are... It's pretty unjustifiable. Yeah, well, I feel like I don't look at... You know, I, I rarely is the best picture winner the movie that I think is the best movie of the year. Parasite is a rare exception where my number one was the, also the best picture winner. Um, This one, you know, it's, it's, I think it's like a cultural, you look at it as a cultural touchstone, right? And Mm -hmm. what were the conversations, like Brokeback Mountain in 2005 was just not the conversation, the conversation that, that is not the 2005 conversation. Not the yeah, like the cultural touch point, right? Where yeah, exactly. Crash was safer, right? Crash was yep. saying something, maybe, right? Like, but like saying it in a much safer way than Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, yeah. especially when you think about the voting of body. I mean, most people now, most people who watch Crash in a current cultural context feel like it's actually pretty racist. 
I haven't yeah. revisited it since then. But... I haven't either. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing I remember from it is Ludacris saying uh, his comment about the bus having big windows so they can shame you for riding the bus. Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it crashes come up a couple times. I'd be curious yeah. if it comes up here, but um, I, don't I don't know how fun it would be to revisit Crash. I think it just, I don't know. I don't know if that'd be I, very fun. Uh, I, I have another question. I don't know if you had more, Zach, that you wanted to prompt with. Uh, no, I getting think close to. Yeah. We're getting close to the secret time. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, I, keep an eye on the clock. We'll be all Great. right. Uh, what, is your, what is your question? So my question is, were the characters gay? Which is a question I asked, and it's a sin with one of the characters as well. Were these characters gay? Because that is a big topic of conversation of viewers of this, of the actors and director themselves, and how they thought about the characters and how they played them. So I'm curious what your takes are. Sexuality is fluid. And I mean, there's no words for what they were probably feeling and experiencing at the time, as we talked about, like... I mean, we're only just in the last few years starting to have words like pansexual and asexual and transsexual be common in a way that people are accepting of those terms and not just straight up not not understanding them. So, I mean, to to try to binary it of were they gay or not, I think is an unfair question altogether. Yeah. For me personally. I mean, yeah. it's because you just can't define them that way because the, i don't think the movie wants you to yeah either. i i think like, i don't know i think i look at it a little bit more simplistically than that where i think that they are both gay and uh more you know like on a spectrum of how repressed they are um with their feelings and you know it in it it certainly could change over time you know like uh you know we see ennis and alma or we don't see that before but they have a history before broke back mountain we also see mm -hmm. jack and uh, and Loreen in the back of the car. And I mean, so there is a lot of missing time where we're not seeing how they are. But what we see is we are seeing there with their uh, heterosexual partners and unhappy or with mm -hmm. their homosexual partners and happy. Yeah. Um, so I will share that the um, the actors, the director, uh, a lot of people involved either didn't think that they were gay and thought that it just like they were just two humans that happened to fall in love when they were on Brokeback Mountain. And I think a couple, I think the actors played it that way. At least I think Jake Gyllenhaal did. Um, there have been some folks who have said, well, I think they're both just le legitimately bisexual people. Um, so I think that there's a lot of different ways of looking at it and everyone brings a little bit of their own perspective to it. The mm -hmm. way I about it is very similar to yours brendan like mm -hmm. i feel like we don't have enough data we just don't we don't know we don't know their their hearts and minds but to your point zach i think that kind of like i've been saying they don't have the language for this they don't mm -hmm. have the understanding of it like i will be honest i did not realize that i was gay until very late in my life and mm -hmm. it's because i was raised in a religious household and i didn't have the language it wasn't just it wasn't something that was like in my mind to understand about myself. I think that that's true for them. So I think that it's likely that they could and maybe are gay and just don't know how to acknowledge it and express it. But I, I don't think that it matters for the story. I think we don't have enough data. And this story is just trying to tell an honest uh, tale about mm -hmm. people who at this time who went through this 
and we're very simple people and just trying to deal with their emotions. Yeah. People who it's just people who loved each other and that's Incredible. kind of it was just yeah, I loved it. Uh, I will also say I definitely could see Ennis doesn't have the words for it, doesn't know yeah. what it is that he's feeling. Um, yeah. I think, uh, like you, you talked about, Jack is a little bit more experienced. Jack goes to Mexico. Jack, Jack, no, I think Jack has the words for it. Um, how does this timeline align with, uh, like I recently watched Milk. When did Milk take place? Is that also the 60s? Yeah. So Milk was assassinated at the end of 1978. I'm actually not 100% sure. Like I'm guessing that his... His legal career was was probably through the late '60s, early '70s. Okay, so probably around the same time as this movie, then. This movie yeah, place. yeah, because I was yeah. thinking about that in terms of just kind of the time frame of that. I mean, it's uh, you know between this and it's a sin. Uh, I feel like I'm learning, you know, my gay history from this. Kind of goes right up until basically right up until almost to when it's a sin starts. Absolutely. It, it does, because I think It's a Sin is 81, right? And mm. Brokeback Mountain goes up through 83. So it's oh, go, got a little yeah, bit right. of yeah. overlap there. And um, I believe that, I know that this is the Ang Lee connection off of Crouching Tiger, but I believe that Gus Van Sant, who did Milk, was um, considering doing Brokeback Mountain and mm. did Milk instead. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because Milk was, I think, two years after this. I think Milk was 2007, yeah. I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, as it's a sin has come up, just a reminder, we did do that. It's a sin podcast. We all loved that show. It's mini series on HBO, yeah. uh, very heavy, but really, really rewarding. So if you've not really watched that, it, it's on HBO yeah. max and, uh, check that out. And then there's a bonus pod couple back on this feed with the three of us talking about it's a sin. I would say, I would say one of our strongest conversations as well. So I highly encourage people to go until tonight. Until <laughs> yeah, yeah. tonight. That was fun. That was a lot uh, of fun. Uh, all right, so we're going to move on to feedback, um, but was there anything that we haven't touched on on this conversation that you guys want to make sure we get to before feedback and connections? Kyle, start with you. Anything? Uh, no, I think I think we covered it all. You got everything You got everything out of me. All right, good. Uh, Brendan? I mean, uh, we didn't mention Ang Lee did win Best Director for this, despite mm. it losing Best Picture. So just wanted to make sure I got that in there while I have the Academy Awards for that year open in front of me. Um, he did beat out uh, Capote, Crash, Good Night, Good Luck, and Munich on same five for Best Picture and Best Director, which is also very rare. Um, usually there's somebody that sneaks in there that gets nominated for one that didn't get nominated for the other. This is actually the rare year where it's the exact five for both director and picture. So, uh, and, uh, just as a connection, crouching tiger nominated for both be- best picture and best director as well. Yep. Um, absolutely. And this is sort of Angley's, uh, Angley's pre make good on, or, uh, post make good on crouching tiger hidden dragon. Um, trying to try to squeeze in there and get it and get nominated for best adapted screenplay as well. Yep. Um, both yeah. And it won. Yeah. We talked about that. No, uh, Crouching Tiger was. Oh, was Crouching Tiger? I'm looking at the 2001 awards. Oh, uh, nice. Hosted by Steve Martin. I love Steve. Oh, there you go. Love Steve Martin. The the one thing that I remember about Ang Lee and Brokeback Mountain because I bought I bought the DVD like the day it came out and watched the the commentary and everything. And the one thing that sticks out in my mind is um, I, I believe that he. The, the one thing that he really didn't want to do with Brokeback Mountain was he said he'd never work with animals again after oh, wow. I think, was it 
Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility. One of those. I, I can't remember which one he did, but he did, one of those. he did one of those movies with animals, I guess, and was like, I'm not never going to work with animals again. And then had, you know, a mountain full of 500 sheep that he had to deal with <laughs> a, a huge pain in the butt. And then made Life of Pi a few right. years later. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, actually, one thing I did want to mention, too, is just a couple of visual scenes that uh, really stuck out to me. So the fireworks fight um, mm-hmm. is just very, very bright. And that's when, you know, we see Ennis have that outburst on the two guys who are just kind of degrading women. I think that's really what makes him mad. I don't know if, like, they weren't talking about They weren't saying homophobic things that I caught. Um, I think it was more, he was just being, the guys, he was just trying to be like that macho cowboy. Is that you read on that? Um, right in front of all the fireworks as well. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a, a visually striking scene, yeah. And I do think that it was a good representation of that kind of repressed anger and sensitivity about people talking about him or thinking about him or kind of putting him and his family down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did talk about the divorce, but the scene in the in the kitchen, I think just, again, like super strong, especially from both. Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams, where she confronts him about knowing what he's doing with Jack, what his relationship is with Jack. Yeah. Um, and just that his deny, I, I mean, his denial, his shame. I, I mean, I don't know exactly where that comes from, but he is so, uh, he has that outburst and it's just really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and remember, like everything he was doing was incredibly illegal at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and immoral. And he's got that background of, you know, what his father showed him when he was younger. Right. Do you think he, so he says that he thinks his father did that. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think it's just, well, he, him? Says he doesn't know, like he doesn't have any proof either way. His father could have been one of the guys that did it for all he knew. But like, I mean, if yeah. you saw that, like not you, but like if one, right. her, if somebody saw that, it is a leap to assume your father was the one who did that. There is a reason you would think that you would not naturally assume that. I, I think it was a really good way of, kind of describing his father and his father, how horrible his father was in just mm-hmm. like a couple of lines, mm-hmm. it, yeah. you know, sure. it, it said a lot in it using just a very few, few number of words. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it just puts that doubt in your mind, which we get yes. doubt out again later. You know, we get doubt a couple times in this movie where mm-hmm. we don't, like you said, we don't, what I didn't realize, we don't know if how Jack was killed and there's doubt there. There's mm-hmm. doubt where maybe, but maybe these are just Ennis's fears as well. Yeah. So, um, and the other scene I wanted to point out too was Jack after he finds out that Ennis has got divorced and he's driving and he's so happy on the way that he's driving. Yeah. There's so much joy in his face. He's, I think he's listening to like happy music. King and, of the road. Yeah. And yeah, when I mean, he's leaving, it's the exact opposite. He's crushed. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah that was, was really, really heartbreaking. And the the other scene, I know that you had brought it up, Zach, but I want to just come back to it. That kind of like reunion after four years where they hadn't seen each other and they didn't think they would see each other. And then Jack sends the postcard and Ennis writes back, you bet, because he probably doesn't know how to write a whole lot. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, just like he's he's waiting he's got his like 10 beer bottles because he doesn't know if jack's actually going to show up and he gets really drunk yeah. at that like super electric scene where they just meet on on the stairs and can't hold back their emotions even though they're in public alma is right up there uh to me that is i i was trying to think if i could think of a better cinematic 
kiss scene that had more emotion behind it. And I was really struggling to find one that matches it. It was just so intense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah, I, too. That I, For me, it was just the, my logical brain was like, come on, like you're going to get caught, which is what happens. But mm. the I can see the like right brain. Is but different. I mean, it, like you could see all of his beer bottles. He was clearly he had been thinking about it all day. He had his mm. best shirt on. He had been drinking all of this beer. It was four months of this pent up emotion. You know, that scene where he had was in the alley and he was punching the wall and dry heaving that had just compounded over four years. And he thought, I'll never mm-hmm. see really this guy again. Yeah. This is the guy that I love. Like mm-hmm. it all like built up where he wasn't cautious. And that probably scared him more than anything, thinking about, you know, what his father had shown him like that, like, oh, I, you know, I could lose it. That the, later yeah. in the hotel room when he says like, uh, there's no rains on this thing. If this thing takes hold again, like it did in front of our place where people see it, we're dead. So yeah. I think like, that, that moment was like a lapse in his caution and fear, but it probably compounded his, uh, like the sensitivity of like not going farther with Jack. Yeah. And I think it's really a credit to, you know, two amazing actors that, normally wouldn't be thought of for these roles that mm-hmm. are, have, I mean, J.J. has turned into one of the best actors of the last 15 years in, you know, a dozen different movies. And he wasn't that guy up to this point. And Heath Ledger became that guy because of this movie or was seen as that guy. And it's a, it's a testament to the right cast at the right time with the right actors that can show the amount of depth and complication and emotion that these two characters need throughout this movie. I mean, in lesser hands, this could have been a disaster. Like, and it's a, it, it was a risk. It's, I think it's a risk yeah. for the actors definitely Absolutely. to be in this role in 2005, but mm-hmm. it's also a risk for the filmmaker because look at who you're casting, right? Like, right. like you said, you know, this is the guy from the day after tomorrow and the guy who was dancing on the bleachers and 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. I um, mean, you cast the bubble boy and a squire from the night's tale. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it shouldn't work and it does. And it's incredible. Yeah. That's why I would be really interested to know who else they looked at, but it just doesn't yeah. say that information is readily available. But. Um, I, I really do like, yeah. I watch it and it's a tragedy and it's a tragedy on its own. It's like a really poignant, tragic film. But I yeah. think the fact that we lost Heath Ledger makes it even more tragic because absolutely. he was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have seen all of the movies that he made after he passed away. Yeah. I know it's, 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 it's I, I, it really is just like I gone too soon. And you know, the fa- I, especially that we get that Joker performance too, which yeah. is, I mean, it's very different than this, but it's such mm-hmm. a strong, powerful performance. And I think there was one other movie that came out with him after that, but that's really like his last big role. Yeah. Um, so uh, Kyle, what do you think? Uh, so this is the first watch for Brennan and I. This is a rewatch for you. Do you prefer this movie on the first watch or on the rewatch? Uh, I mean, I mean, it was good. It was good then. It was good now. I I just love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could watch it. I could watch it over and over and over again. To be totally honest, it just mm-hmm. it hits all of the right notes for me. All right. Well, let's see if it hit the right notes for our listeners because let's head out for the feedback. Nice. Jeff, wasn't was that a good transition? Uh, Jeff wrote oh, in yeah. and. He said, uh, another tough movie for him. 
He said, it's hard for him to watch sad movies, but this one was really well done. Scenery was amazing. The writing and acting were all really good. I felt bad throughout the movie for them and the times they lived in as well, uh, in the times they lived in, as well as the women in their lives. The ending was especially saddening. All in all, really good movie that will give a four, but I would never watch again. So, Jeff, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, there's a lot of things that I watch that I find the emotional richness in and really enjoy the watch that I don't ever plan on seeing again. Like, I mean, so I I totally get Jeff's point. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, we've had some on this podcast where yeah, we, we both absolutely. really like the movie and we're like, yeah, I don't need to see that again, can't, but I really can't like watch it, it again. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's like that. Ex- I mean, kind of speaks to this movie, right, where there's an experience that you have watching this movie. Right. And sometimes you can't recapture that initial experience. And, absolutely. It, you know, throughout this movie, they're trying to recapture Brokeback Mountain and they just never are able to. Watching a movie and a romantic relationship are completely different things, but mm-hmm. you, can, you can kind of see the parallels. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Johnson writes in and says the film starts slow but ironically picks up speed when both men are married the acting all around is terrific Jake Gyllenhaal is a very underrated actor Heath Ledger would have been one of the greatest ever this movie is much more complex than people ever give it credit for even by today's standards it is deep and 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 it is a deep and thought-provoking film four and a half stars from Stefan Johnson um, I do think, you know, as he's talking about that, he talks about the men being married and that does remind mm-hmm. me of how we flash from, um, I believe it's Ennis at the wall after, after Jack mm-hmm. leaves, we immediately cut from there to his wedding, which is he's like full there. of re- religious symbolism and imagery, which is, you know, one of the reasons why this is not accepted in his life is because of religion. Mm-hmm. So some of that stuff i was like is this too on the nose but um it, it's also it's effective plus it got that wedding in there for you because this is uh, yes yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, that, yeah that's i was gonna come in off on connections yeah, yeah. Yep. it's a, more weddings guys yay yes. <laughs> yes, uh, yes as i'm heading to an actual wedding in just a couple days i appreciated yeah. keeping wedding season going on this podcast a little longer all right and then finally megan the librarian says this movie is too sad to review Ennis breaks my heart. I will just say that the Academy members who voted for Crash should have their membership revoked. So uh, she gives it a four out of five. And she does comment, which is going to get us into connections. She says, I hope that you'll talk about the fact that this movie starts in the summer of 1963, which is the same summer as when Dirty Dancing took place. Boom. I Nailed did it. not catch that. Nicely done, Megan. Nice. Everyone has complicated relationships with their parents in that movie as well as in this In one. every movie that we've lots done. This of, uh, lots of Dirty Nancy connections on this one. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, all right. Well, let's do our reviews. Um, so, Brendan, you want to go first? Yeah. So I think we I think we had a really great discussion about this. And normally my our discussion enhances my rating of the movie. But all it did was embolden it. Um, I, I think this movie is incredible. Um, I think the cast is fantastic. I think the cinematography is out of this world with everything shot up in the mountains. Um, I think the script is tight despite it being over two hours. I think it moves at a really, really good pace. Like I never found myself bored. I wasn't like playing with my phone or anything. Um, this is four and a half stars. This is, this is a really, really, really good movie. And, and, I can understand Jeff's point. I don't know that I'll ever revisit 
broke that mountain, but there's a certain comfort in knowing it's there that if like I ever want to pour myself a whiskey and go back there, that this movie is there for me. Yeah, you, you know? feel bad. I was drinking scotch at the beginning of this podcast. I feel like this is definitely not a scotch movie. It's uh, a whiskey. I, poured, I think it's a whiskey. I should have poured some regular whiskey. Or it's a whiskey yeah. movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking some bu- Buffalo Trace straight yeah, from Kentucky as we that's, speak. So yeah, that's that's some good stuff. Um, all right, well I'll go next, and we'll let Kyle close us out. Please. Um, so yeah, I I agree with what you said and what we've said. We've had a really good discussion, and there's a lot of things that this has been illuminated for me that um, I do like. It's just fun to be able to like sit and talk about a movie and there's just so much more than when I think about it myself that you get out of it. And there's things that you guys notice. So, um, I give this podcast five stars. Um, (laughs) but the movie itself, um, I actually didn't find there were some parts that were kind of slow and, um, you know, it's fine. I think again, like I having knowing the epicness and like the 20 year span that we're going to have. Um, I think that's, I was just, it wasn't what I was expecting. Um, and I love all the stuff on Brokeback Mountain. I think if I actually rewatched this, I would rewatch the first hour because I really like that. Um, it's just it looks so, so good. Um, I love when the when there's the big snowstorm and the tent is almost completely covered and the big hail, like just weather and storms and just interesting through lines through this movie. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, powerhouse performances, I definitely can see why this was nominated and it would have been great if it would have won. Um, and I think it's still just as timely as it was when it was made. I don't think it's dated at all. Um, and I will give it a four. Nice. Great. Not like your friend, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wait, so I uh, obviously love this movie uh, and rave over it. So for me, this is one of my handful of uh, five star movies. Uh, I, I love it so much and it really does check a lot of my boxes. My, the, the motion that I gravitate towards most, uh, in film is when a writer and a director and a cast can capture the feeling of nostalgia. And I think that this movie was really suffused with nostalgia. The scene of the movie for me and of the short story is that flashback after they have their big fight where Jack has laid out. It's been 20 years and you count the number of times we've seen each other over those 20 years, the handful of times in the short leash you keep me on. And then they immediately after that fight flash back to like the best moment of his life there at the fire holding each other. And I just think that they do it so perfectly. Uh, I think that this movie is like the encapsulation of nostalgia and longing and the decisions that lead us in directions other than we want to go. And uh, it's perfect for me. So it's a five. Is this on your Mount Rushmore? Uh, like your letterbox top four? That's a great question. I don't think that it is, but I think that it very well could be. There's so many Let, good movies out there, let's right? Let's take a look at your Mount Rushmore. I always like it. I, I don't always remember to do this, but I always like to do uh, Mount Rushmore. It is not on your Mount Rushmore. We do share a movie Man. on our Mount Rushmore's though. Uh, and that is Children of Men. We both oh, have so that on our Mount nice. Rushmore. Uh, yeah. And two movies that we did on this podcast, Harold the Mod and Memento. Both yep. Mount Good Mount Rushmore. Yeah, and then Amelie so, rounds it out. So it was a 4.16 from the listeners, by the way. I don't think we said that. And then the average is a 4.41, which we will round up to a 4.5 for purposes of Letterboxd. Wow, that's got to be that's got to be in our top five. This, I believe, is our highest rated movie of the year so far. Nice. Um, all right, so 4.5 is what we will... 
around that too. So now we've got our connections. So we'll start with connections just to uh, Crouching Tiger, and then we'll go mm-hmm. to connections to other movies from this year. Um, so obviously Ang Lee, the connection, repressed love and emotion we saw in those um, mountains as well, snowy, snowy mountain imagery. Um, and uh, weddings, which we've had in a couple. There was a wedding reference to Crouching Tiger. And then the other that I will note is uh, Ennis is an orphan in this, and there was an yeah. orphan character in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, anything else that you guys have to Crouching Tiger? Uh, no, those were the big ones. Just the just the beautiful cinematography imagery going across mountains and fields. Um, people traveling long distances to accomplish a goal. Um, you know, less, the qu- there was fighting, but it was less beautiful in this. Yeah, movie. I mean, less beautiful fighting. Um, the the sort of search for finding yourself is sort of a big thing in Crouching Tiger, you know, mm-hmm. discovering who you were meant to be um, happens in both. Um, you know, the, the the general, that happens in a lot of movies, but also it's specific to these two. Um, those, those are the big ones. And the wedding, of course. I, I think that the other big connection for me is like, yes, Jack and Ennis are really shaped um, by the patriarchy and by like the male culture and the expectations for men, but kind of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the um, Alma character and Loreen character are really kind of like stuck in this world that's defined by the patriarchy and the fact Mm -hmm. that they're expected to marry and they're expected to be good wives. And, um, you know, in crouching tiger, you had the, the female characters that are really kind of confined by, Oh, we can't teach your, you know, nails here. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, and this might be a little stretch, but crouching tiger ends with, uh, a leap of faith and a literal leap of faith. And in this, I feel like Jack is often trying to get Ennis to take that to leap, take that leap, but he won't. Um, so. You can you can also say that the Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun Fat characters, by declaring their love for each other at the end, I mean they had a they had a love that they could never express exactly. in public. Yep. Just like, you know, just like um, Ennis and Jack did. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's that repressed emotion, which I think Kevin brought up yeah. last week when we said we were doing this podcast. This yeah, movie. Sure. Um, all right. Uh, so I have one connection, one big connection besides the weddings and mm-hmm. Terrible Fathers to other movies that we've done this year. Um, and besides the, the Dirty Dancing. And that is <laughs> another movie about a main character named Jack. So we have uh, The Way Back. We have Speed. So yep. I think at least, it's at least three movies. Uh, to meet the parents have a Jack as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack, Robert De Niro's Robert De Niro was Jack as well. Yeah. yeah. So four four Jacks at least as at main least. characters this year. Anything else that you guys have? Um, you have also have, I mean, with Damned United, you have a father trying to you know protect the relationship he has with his children, mm-hmm. um, while also you know trying to live up to what he perceives as his destiny and his goals um you have a lot of and we have that that father that father yeah it's the 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 father father uh, probably over half of our movies this year yeah it's a lot um um i yeah i i had that um in man who shot liberty valance and Mm -hmm. always be my maybe there is a like vast progression of time like the story spanned a long time span um, also, Life of Brian as well, and Spartacus, mm-hmm. um, all kind of epics. 
Um, also, way way back is about a in a important relationship that the main character develops with a male companion throughout a summer, and a female and a romantic and a female relationship companion. both so, over a summer. Yeah, that's both a throughout point. a summer. So I mean, it's a it's a summer, summer movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, Brokeback Mountain is kind of a summer movie, yeah. even though it's to a degree snowy, a coming of age at least. Yeah. It's a coming of age movie. Um, and then I also had uh, Speed as a connection mm-hmm. because I feel like both Speed and Brokeback Mountain had a very situational love. Like I feel mm-hmm. like the relationship developed very quickly because oh, of between the fact Jack and they Annie. this yeah, bus together um, and Brokeback mm-hmm. Mountain. You know, they say relationships that start during stressful situations never last. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, how about our movie map back to season one? So God, we got to go back all the way to season one and think about are there any movies that you would say this. Uh, so this, I had a couple. Um, I had a couple overall thematic or visual ties to um, the Thin Red Line um, hmm. because that is about a character ultimately searching for his place and trying to figure out where he belongs in nature. In, well. in nature. And in the world, and the cinematography in both are just so like overpowering, overpowering, stunning. Um, yeah. So that was that was my big one. Um, All right. How about let's I go to Kyle's have, big one. Yeah, yeah. let's go. To Kyle. We'll see what everybody says, and then yeah. Well, uh, you called mine out already. It's on my letterboxed Mount Rushmore. So my connection is Harold and Maude, which is another nice. star movie for me, and um, you know tells the story of unconventional love that mm. in society might not agree with. And even the, the trailer for Harold and Maude had a, a great statement of like, love who you want to love. So that yeah. like young, old, yeah, the cat Stevens yeah. yeah. Um, and that movie was made in 1971. So during made during the time frame of this, they might've seen that movie when it mm-hmm. came out. Uh, all right. So I will take the epicness of this and the way that it really tells the story of somebody's whole life and uh, the way that their father defined them and their past mm-hmm. defines kind of their choices and their loneliness that they face. Uh, so I'm going to go with Citizen Kane. Look you. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Good one. I like it. I don't think we've really had any. I don't think we've done any movies with anybody from this. Uh, I think Michelle Williams had one movie I saw that we've done on this podcast. But uh, otherwise, I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal or Heath Ledger or Anne Hathaway we've covered. Uh, Shutter Island is the one that she was in. Uh, yeah. Also, Michelle Williams in a lot of movies where she is in an unhappy marriage. At least three that I can think of. So maybe they'll come up. I guess I shouldn't say that. Uh, all right. Finally, what is our title connection for this movie? That everybody I believe it's already knows. Ang Lee's Oscar Mountain. So I I don't think that um, it's appropriate because I feel like just reading it without listening to the podcast, you wouldn't appreciate it. But I'd uh, love for it to be called Brokeback Mountain, Brokeback Nasty. <laughs> just because it's like... <laughs> One How does that connect to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? It, 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 does, it doesn't really. You just want um, it to be broke. You want it to be broke back nasty. I do want it to be broke back nasty. Maybe I put that in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I think that. I think that's that's uh, gonna be the tweet. Yeah, I think uh, that's. Yeah, uh, you're gonna get canceled if you tweet. I will. Nasty. Uh, oh, another thing I will say is a connection between this movie and Crouching Tiger is both kind of became like internet jokes or not really yeah, internet, just like jokes like i think to uh old school in the uh andy dick character saying crouching tiger hidden penis and then just all of the brokeback mountain like yeah. gay cowboy movie jokes from 2005 which uh 
you know, I, different time. I know this is a gay movie, but we didn't we we didn't mention Anne Hathaway going topless in it. Have you done any movies where like a famous person is has that level of nudity in it? I didn't realize that was I was surprised by that. Didn't uh, even really notice. Didn't... Oh, yeah, I I did notice. Um, but <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't was I'm trying to think. There was probably nudity in Magic Mike, right? Yeah. Uh, Oh, there is definitely a dong shot in Life of Brian. So oh, that's also true. That's yeah, fiction. there is. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, Brian Jones, I think it is, gets full. No, who is it? Graham Chapman. Graham Chapman gets full. Oh, right. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. male nudity in yeah, Full Frontal. Yeah. 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 Uh, but no, uh, early Anne Hathaway, uh, early Kate Mara. So yeah, this was good cast for this. A lot of people I wasn't expecting to see. I yeah, kind of wish I hadn't looked at the cast list before because I knew so, some of these. Character, or some of these actors were coming up. So it, I thought the Kate Mara character was Amy Adams for like 30 seconds, and I had to look it up and realized it was Kate Mara. But yeah. I, I always yeah, confuse Kate Mara and the woman from Pitch Perfect, and I'm blanking on her name right now. Uh, the main star of Pitch Perfect. No idea. What's her name? Ugh, it's going to bother me. I should look it up. <laughs> Is it one of the Emily's? No, a- Anna, Anne. Anna Kendrick? Yeah, Kendrick, that's it. Okay, thank you. Gotcha. I will say that I hadn't seen this movie in quite a while, and watching it now is like, oh, there's a lot of people that were no one when this came out and are clearly famous now. I mean, David Harbour is in this movie for 30 seconds, and he's like one of the biggest TV stars of the modern era with Stranger Things. So, People love David Harbour. Yeah, David Harbour. Oh, he's... All right, also in a movie. Oh, all right, I'll save that. But I'm looking at David Harbour's filmography, and I see a movie that could have been a good connection off of this. Oh, man, Uh-oh. maybe it'll come up. All right. Uh, well, anything maybe else it... on this on um, Brokeback or should we move to connections? Let's move to connections, please, right. Zachary. Just as a reminder, 4.5 was our overall rating for Brokeback Mountain. So we're gonna move on to listener connections and host connections. So we're gonna pick the movie that we're gonna talk about next week. Um, once we do pick our movie, make sure you watch it. Send in your feedback at LadderMovie, the movie ladder at gmail.com is where you can send in those emails to us. And uh, we'll probably stick to our normal recording. Actually, next week we might have to record on Wednesday. I think we have a couple Wednesdays coming up, but it'll either be a Tuesday or Wednesday. We're trying to stick with our normal schedule. So, uh, Jeff sending in some Anne Hathaway connections. Believe it or not, Jeff is sending in the intern once again. So Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, he's suggested that a few times. He really wants us to watch that movie. Uh, and he said that's a feel-good movie. Uh, so you know, Jeff wants something a little bit more uplifting, I think. Next is Get Smart. With Anne, I did not realize Anne Hathaway was in Get Smart. And his third Anne Hathaway role is Interstellar. So and going back to Christopher Nolan again, we did Interstellar. And so Fun connection fact, I believe that uh, Interstellar had filming location connections to Brokeback Mountain. Oh, that's fun. Uh, uh, also, that would make sense. Yeah. We would continue talking about Terrible Fathers. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, Stefan, he suggests The Patriot, Heath Ledger. Uh, been a long time since I've seen that. Heath Ledger and Mel Gibson. Next one, Nightcrawler, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. That's a super intense movie. Brennan, have you seen Nightcrawler? This is going to affect if I... I did see Nightcrawler. Um, I was that was a that was a movie like I'm never gonna watch again. But I like it was so intense and I was like enthralled the entire time. But I'm never watching it again. But uh, I really liked it. And then uh, Interstellar for Anne Hathaway, 
And then uh, I'm not sure what the third connection here is, but he says the entire Dark Knight trilogy. So I get Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Heath Ledger and Anne Hathaway. But then he right. says, oh, and A. Gyllenhaal. Oh, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, A. Gyllenhaal. Is oh, in not, not Jake, but Maggie Gyllenhaal. A. Gyllenhaal. Ooh, yeah. I, I, that, that's so we could go. We're not with doing the entire trilogy next week, but uh, no, I like but the yeah, idea. You could. Yeah. So. All right, was, Megan, the yeah, librarian, she says, uh, as a note for me, the first two suggestions include a wedding. Appreciate Ooh. it. First is Ride with the Devil, a Civil War movie that is a hidden gem in Ang Lee's filmography, much like Brokeback Bond, and it involves guys in cowboy hats, riding horses, and living outside. The next is Sense and Sensibility. There you go, Kyle. Directed by Ang Lee. She said she suggested it last week, and I'm suggesting again because maybe we could do something funny after Brokeback mm-hmm. Mountain. There's a great cast, including Emma Thomas, Thompson, Kate Winslet, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, Hugh Laurie, among others. Double Hugh in that movie. Nice. All right. And then uh, finally, Take This Waltz, another movie where Michelle Williams has, a relationship, has relationship problems. I just looked at my letterbox, and I gave this movie a bad review, but I have to say it stuck with me, and I wouldn't mind watching it again. Nice. So another movie with Michelle Williams having tough relationship so that's four now i think uh mm. maybe more and i think wasn't she on dawson's creek as well or yes one of those she okay. was one of the dawson's yes. yeah i never watched it but i know she's on that uh all right jim cromley suggests uh another movie involving mountains life and death and that is sylvester stallone's 1993 action movie cliffhanger <laughs> and jim says it's streaming for free on prime so uh, All right. That would be fun to go broke back mountain to cliffhanger. <laughs> be very uh, funny mountains. Yeah. So um, we are going to get they... to host connections now, uh, but I do want to say I meant to say this earlier. I'm pretty sure I already have the movie winner picked out. Um, I meant to say this at the top of the podcast. I'm pretty sure I know what we're doing, and it's one of mine. And um, you know, <laughs> well, we're, I, I think we're still going to let Kyle go first. We will. We will. And I think I called my shot once upon a time, and I was right. I do not remember what that was, but um, I think you called it for once upon a time in Hollywood, didn't you? I feel like we all called it for that, but that's true. We did all call it for once. Yeah. No, I can't remember what movie. If anybody, if anybody listening has a good memory, can remember what movie it was that I said I've got the winner, and then I ended up being right. I was it Home Alone? I feel like you felt confident about Home. Mm. Alone. Might have been Home that's Alone. Positive. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. What did I think we, we were Home definitely Alone doing of? Home Alone at the time? Oh, it yeah. was. Uh, that was after uh, After Hours. Ah. So. All right. Well, we'll see if I'm right. I just had to make sure I said that before I start saying my connection. So, okay. uh, Kyle. Do you want to go first or do you want to go last? Yeah, I'll go first. That sounds good. Um, so I uh, did three gay movies and a not gay movie. Um, uh, so the first connection, I think it's absolutely the most appropriate ladder connection, even if it's not mm-hmm. picked, uh, is God's Own Country, which is streaming okay. on Hulu right now. And God's Own Country is like, what if you had the story of Brokeback Mountain, but it was people in 2017? Like, how would the story evolve differently? So it's about rural men who meet each other while ranching, but it's a modern story, and it's really exceptionally well done. I highly recommend that anyone who watched Brokeback Mountain watch it, uh, even if it's not picked this week. Really, really good. Interesting. Uh, I, we didn't even talk really about that concept, but, you know, Brokeback Mountain is period piece, um, and how that movie would be different if it took place. Now, and I actually, so we're talking about Brokeback Mountain, I was thinking about, like, you know, NS would uh, be what in the seventies right now? Mm-hmm. Let's try to do the math. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. well, they definitely would have used text messaging instead of postcards. <laughs> True. Mm-hmm. I do. I uh, I realized I have no idea how the mail works. Watching broke right by myself. <laughs> so I was like, wait, you can just put something in the mail and it just arrives. You don't have to know the address. Back in the day, man. Um, 
I I really get uh, God's Own Country is a very high rated movie for yeah. me. Highly, highly recommend it. Please nice. watch it. Um, the second connection is Weekend. Uh, also another recent gay movie that came out. And unlike a uh, love story that spanned 20 years, Weekend is all about um, a very intense weekend and the kind of relationship and specialness you can build over a short period of time. Highly recommend that movie. Uh, third movie is one that I think most people have seen, but I have to say it because it was so good and I haven't watched it since it was in the theater. And that was Moonlight, the movie that almost pulled a crash with La La Land oh. and then got pulled back at the the last second and won like it should have. So Moonlight, uh, Moonlight. you guys win best picture. Yeah. I, I, love, I do love La La Land though. That movie, uh, the movie's yeah. very magical for me, but I like La La Land. They're very well. different movies. Yeah, they're very different. Um, and then the fourth uh, suggestion is uh, shipping the shipping news, oh. which is um, was written by Annie Prue, the writer of the Brokeback Mountain short story. Haven't seen it since it came out uh, either, so that'd be interesting to see something written, something else written by Annie. And then I do have an also ran because I know that you all do that, and it's fun, and I get jealous. Um, and that is. Uh, the Celluloid Closet, which is a 1990s documentary about um, queer themes in cinema. So, uh, you know, worth checking out. Brendan will watch that. Great. Uh, you didn't um, want to Kyle... suggest? You didn't want to suggest Nightmare on Elm Street two? Is it gay movie? I, I do love Nightmare on Elm Street two, but no. Kyle, I, I will say that I'm happy when we talk because I end up adding a bunch of things to my watch list, whether they whether they actually get watched on the podcast or not. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, You're doing I, great. Well, thank you. I, I am just returning the favor uh, from the two of you and all of uh, your listeners that write in as well, because I always add a ton to my watch list and I've seen some good movies I would never even heard of without you all. So thanks. Yeah, I, I added a bunch the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kevin had a ton of good suggestions last week too. So that's, that's the fun about bringing in these guests. Um, all right. I'm trying to see if I want to let you go next, Brendan, and see if you take Zachary, you need to go next. All right. I don't want to steal your thunder. You don't want to steal my thunder. All right. I'm going to build up to, I'm going to build up to my thunder. All right. So the first one is uh, also starring Jake Gyllenhaal. And I realized right before we're going to talk about this podcast, it came out the same year as Brokeback Mountain. uh, And that is Jarhead. That is a Sam Mendes movie, which uh, Mm -hmm. Sam Mendes did my favorite James Bond movie. He did 1917. Uh, I like American Beauty, so I would be curious to see Jarhead. I don't know much about it. War movie. Um, the next, let's see. So there's a lot of Michelle Williams as in a uh, bad relationship movie, but I didn't go with any of those. Um, are any of these on your list, Brendan? Or am I going to take any of yeah. them if I list them? Okay. Uh, so movies that didn't make the cut are Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, I thought for Valentine. On your list. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to watch either of those. Those are both no. so depressing. Yeah, but, that's one that I that as I was alluding to earlier, movies that I loved that I would never watch again. Yeah. I don't need to watch Manchester by the Sea again. Yeah. Uh, but I will go with one that I don't know much about it except that Kelly Reichardt is an up and coming director. And this is a uh, Western, I believe. Uh, and this is Meek's Cutoff. I think this has come up a couple times. Uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Williams is in this movie. And I think it's one of the first Kelly Reichardt movies. She did First Cow from last year, which I haven't seen any Kelly Reichardt, but I know people loved First Cow. So I'd be curious to watch that. And uh, let's see. Do I want to do any more before my winner pick? Um, I'll go 10 Things I Hate About You because that movie's fun. Nice. Um, might not get picked, but I like that movie. And then my winner pick... Uh, this it's is on literature. 
Oh, yes, that's true. Piece of literature. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Shakespearean romance. Um, so this is a, uh, we had, I wrote down rodeo and stuff. This is a mm-hmm. modern Western, and it is by the director who won Best Picture just a couple weeks ago. That is the writer. Yeah. I don't know how much it's, fun this movie is going to be, Jeff, if we pick it, but it's supposed to be very good. I, I knew you were going to put it, and it was a it was on my short list, and I just wrote down earlier before we got back on, uh, I wrote Honorable Betcha next to it, oh, because yes. I knew you were going to suggest it. Yeah. Uh, and Brennan just said back on, so see if you can spot uh, where we edited, because we had to stop recording this for a few hours and start recording it again, but <laughs> you will not be able to find that spot, I bet. <laughs> Because uh, that is some good editing surgery. Um, yeah, no, as I was watching this, I was like, oh, the, I'm like, rodeo, modern yeah, Western. Of course. Uh, you know, I want to see more Chloe Zhao movies. Yeah. Nomad Land was really good. So uh, let's check out The Rider. So I have, I have quite a few. So I, the first one movie I thought of, and this is about, this is probably a movie that Ennis and Jack could have gone to see when it came out in, I believe, 1967 or 1968. And it's about two cowboys that basically have a romance, but it's pretty platonic. Uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, also, that is not what I thought you were going to go with. I thought you were going to go. Well, we'll see. But I thought you were going to go with a different uh, cowboy movie from around the same time. Uh, Butch and Sundance is the first thing I thought of. Um, also, they jumped off a cliff. So, Spoiler alert! Uh, in the in Brokeback. Jeez. Anyway. No, I Jake Gyllenhaal connection Zodiac is the one other one that I thought might be on your list. Which one? Um, yeah. Zodiac. Oh, Zodiac. Because mm. I'm always down to watch Zodiac, and I know you are too. Oh, it's so um, good. I just it rewatched really is. it. It really, really is. Uh, since you took the writer, um, and I know I said it was an honorable mention, but I'm going to throw in another um sort of western that is set in the mountains that actually is based on a uh short novella um cold mountain ah also an academy award best picture nominee yep i think and my final one is going to be the 1991 movie about a old rodeo cowboy who decides to ride one last ride called my heroes have always been cowboys Starring um, Scott Glenn, you and I's favorite guy from The Leftovers. Um, My it's always 19- been Cowboys could also be the name of the connection next week. Yep, exactly. Um, and then I had several also rants. Are we ready to get into also rants? Yeah, uh, one also ran that I wanted to mention yeah. uh, because it's by the same writer and it takes place in and that is Last Picture Show, which I know you just yes. recently watched. Yeah. Um, I watched Last the Picture History Show film I class. I thought about a lot. Yeah, I watched that in History of Film class, uh, and that's yeah. the writer, Larry McMurdy. Uh, I watched that in History of Film class. I didn't like it, but I know people like it. I don't know. It would be interesting to go back to, but I know Brendan like, just watched it. So. so honorable mention to the Before trilogy, because I thought about nominating the whole trilogy, because it basically does what this movie does, which is has an unconventional romance that develops over 30 years. Mm. Um, and has amazing visualization and unconventional romance, lots of fights, lots of love. It's, uh, you know, does the same thing in three movies that this movie does in two hours with the, um, with the love story. And I thought it was really great. Um, and time slipping away. And yeah, uh, I, yeah. I mean, and that, that, that does some yeah. of the, some of the stuff with time that we talked about too, yeah. where the passage of time happens. And, and there's lots of relationship it. complications and yeah. yeah. 
So I'm glad also, that you're so into the before trilogy. I'm glad that you've come around on that. Or, absolutely. Well, man. you never were not I around really on that, it. but I'm glad um, you've seen them all. Honorable mention to Urban Cowboy, which is about is is a modern western where he tries to ride. I guess he rides a um mechanical bull instead was, of an actual bull. I'm I'm assuming that movie is terrible. I'm assuming it is too, which is why it's an honorable mention and not an actual mention. Um, Wild, mention. starring Reese with Reese Witherspoon, is an honorable mention. Mm. Uh, Good Shepherd because they're sheep herders. Um, it was a weak connection, which is why it's an honorable mention. Uh, Enemy, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, is a movie I haven't seen from 2013. Ah, I had that on my list as but, well. I've seen it, and it, like immediately it was when I wanted to rewatch after I saw it, because it's yeah. very confusing. Um, yeah. I thought about suggesting that. Yeah, I had three Jake Gyllenhaals on my short honorable mentions. Uh, source Code, Ocha, and Enemy. So that's it. I was so excited for Source Code and it was so bad. Source Code should not be on anyone's honorable mention list for anything ever. It was rated pretty high, so... I, I remember I was really excited for that movie. We went to a drive-in theater, and they had a triple feature the night we went, and so they had Rango, oh, Source man. Code, and The Adjustment Bureau. And Rango oh, was the one I was the least excited for, and Rango was by far the best of those three. Yeah. That's hilarious. Any, anytime you're tempted to watch The Source Code, just rewatch Moon and be yeah. happy that you did. Or watch... I, I feel like The Source Code was like... Wasn't it done in real time? Isn't it like kind of like 24 a little bit? Uh, I don't... I blocked it. I yeah. blocked it all. It Brennan, I feel like you should watch Source Code on your personal ladder one day. <laughs> but before we go to selections, I another that sparked another honorable Please. mention for me that I think actually would have been a good fit, which is Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Um, that because, was the one I thought Brennan was going to go with. Yeah, because it's the only X-rated Oscar uh, Best Picture winner, and it was only X-rated because of basically like implied homosexuality. Oh. So I've never, uh, yeah, I've never knew. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that was one. That was the one when you said, uh, I don't remember which movie you said, Brendan. Uh, Butch Cassidy. Yeah. Uh, Butch and Sundance. That's where you thought I was going to go with. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Yep. Sorry, All right, uh, Brendan. Why don't you read what we've got uh, connection-wise, and we will. Pick. So we have, uh, we have the Intern, Get Smart, Interstellar, The Patriot, Nightcrawler, Interstellar again. Uh, the entire Dark Knight trilogy, we can pick one if we pick it. Uh, Ride with the Devil, Sense and Sensibility, Take This Waltz, Cliffhanger, God's Own Country, Weekend, Moonlight, The Shipping News, Jarhead, Meeks Cutoff, Ten Things I Hate About You, The Rider, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Zodiac, Cold Mountain, My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. What are we doing? Do cowboys dream of electric sheep? Indeed. <laughs> All the best uh, all right, cowboys Brennan. have daddy issues. Yes. Go ahead and pick. So I am picking first, and do I do it just to, or do I not pick it just to piss you off? No, I, I'm going to pick the rider, and I think ah, I okay. think we would have a good conversation on the rider. Have um, you seen it? I have not seen the rider, okay, but I good, think we can have a good conversation. Um, if it's anything like Nomadland, as far as, and I think it probably is, as far as cinematography and story and messaging goes. Yeah, I think yeah. the style is similar, yeah. and it's about a it's about a rodeo rider. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for picking it. Much appreciated. Uh, all right, my turn. Uh, so, Kyle, I was thinking about Moonlight, but I kind of feel like the connection to Moonlight is a spoiler. 
Um, mm. So, mm, which fair. I I can't. I don't think we should do that. So that's fair. I don't. I mean, I just rewatched Interstellar last year, but it was suggested by two people, and so I love space movies. Um, I mean, is the connection good enough? Just Anne? I mean, I, I guess it doesn't matter. We've done just actress uh, connection. We'll find others. And it takes place over a long period of time. Um, just looking through, I'm thinking about Cold Mountain too, but I, I feel like Cold Mountain is going to be depressing. Um, Probably. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we got it as a double listener suggestion. And I think Interstellar is one that you and I can tackle without a guest next week. I guess a lot. So um, let's go back to the Nolan well to Interstellar. I absolutely love Interstellar. So it'd be fun. Uh, I'm more uh, lukewarm on Interstellar. I still like mm-hmm. it, but a little lukewarm. All right, Kyle. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's there's a ton of movies that were said that I want to see that I haven't seen that I'm really interested in. Uh, so um, I'm going to cross off my list, but it was very tempting, Jarhead. I actually own that on DVD, which I bought when I was a Blockbuster employee, <laughs> and I've never watched it, even though wow. Jake Gyllenhaal apparently appears in it in a thong. So I feel like I need to watch it at some time, but it's not going to be there. this time. The connection uh, could be Jake Gyllenhaal's cheeks, though. Be, <laughs> I'm fine with that. That can always be the connection. <laughs> yeah. um, Stefan, I'm not going to uh pick it this week but uh i i've never seen nightcrawler and i really want to so good, i'll probably yeah. just watch it um and i am going to pick uh the intern because it sounds really interesting to oh, me man jeff getting two picks to the finals but wow, it's, up against, two and half it's up against the number one seed the rider so it's gonna be tough to beat that you know if we're talking about sports metaphors here so our final three a very uh, these three movies have nothing in common that is the rider interstellar and the intern i guess Anne hathaway is in both um kyle have you seen the rider i haven't that's what i would put my vote for so it's been it would be something new for all of us uh so it's a newer movie too yeah i bet you it's new for everybody um if i had to guess just pulling up uh we got streaming for these um so let's see. This is always the part that takes a long time because Letterboxd, a pretty unknown, some... pretty unknown cast. Uh, Brady Jandrew. Yeah. Well, so uh, Chloe Zhao's whole thing is that she uses people from the local community. That's what she did in yeah. Nomadland. So I believe yeah. that it's uh, and I think. OK, so uh, the writer looks like it is not available to stream anywhere for free. So you have to rent it. Although Letterboxd's integration with Just Watch seems like it's not working right now because nothing right. is coming up as uh, streamable. The Intern is also not available to watch for free. Um, and Interstellar is also has on FX now, but that means it's not available to watch for free right. because that's got commercials. Um, although I'm not I'm like a little bit not sure if Just Watch is working because a lot of stuff isn't coming up for it. Um, right. So I guess we won't use streaming as our way to decide. This um, says uh, you can watch it on Hulu, but I think it might be like the Hulu premium. Oh, the new one. Yeah, for Interstellar. For the intern, that's rental. And I'm surprised the writer's not on like uh canopy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's just be in your library though. True. Thank you. I always forget to plug the library. Although I'm not gonna be home very much, so I'm actually gonna need to watch it digitally because I don't have a Blu-ray back at my mom's house. Um I mean, I'm I'm fine with the writer. Kyle was fine with the writer, Brendan. Yeah. I think we should watch the writer. Um I think we should just do it. I quite. I will tell you that when you said you had the lock for this week before you said the rider, 
I thought your final pick was going to be Zodiac, and we were going to do Zodiac, ah. and we were finally going to do Zodiac. But when you said the writer, I was like, okay, yeah, that was on my list too. That makes all the sense in the world. Zodiac so. actually is one of those movies I liked it when I saw it the first time. I every subsequent watch, I've liked it more because you just realize how detailed and intricate it is. Um, especially coming off watching The Wire, I think Zodiac would be interesting. Yeah. Well, and they just had the big. I, I think we talked about it the day it happened. Zach, they just had the big reveal where they uh, uncoded one of the messages that had been coded. So. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. pretty cool. Hmm. Um, all right, well, everybody should watch Zodiac. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we're, next week we're watching. That. Yeah, we're <laughs> watching the Rider. It's about rodeo, modern western. Um, it is available at your library or rental uh, streaming, or maybe if Just Watch starts starts working again, maybe it's somewhere else. Uh, it is. Chloe Zhao's, I want to say it's her first movie. Of course, Chloe Zhao is going to be directing The Eternals later this year. Yeah. Um, the Rider was her first big movie. She had some smaller short shorts and things like that. But So she made The Rider, she made Nomadland, and a Marvel movie. So a Marvel movie, a Best Picture winner. The Rider's got a lot to live up to. Should be fun. Yeah. Um, all, right. all right. So that's next week's movie. Uh, and Kyle, what are you planning to watch this week? Yeah, so uh, as you uh, alluded to earlier, I have a new job, so I've been pretty busy, but I've been fitting in a lot of uh, reality television because it's easy to watch. It, it goes down it goes down smooth. So uh, I'm watching the new season of Top Chef. Uh, yes. I'm watching the, uh, the drag race down under, the Australian drag race, and I am just about to merge in the Australian Survivor All-Stars, which is good one. Yes. Um, Did you see today they just announced, they didn't say when, but they said uh, next season is coming soon. It's Brains versus Braun. No beauty. Just Brains versus Braun. It's the middle of the summer at some point, but yeah. They they don't even need to say beauty because everyone in Australia on those series are gorgeous. Yeah, Yeah, it's just the the beauty umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and maybe you're gonna watch uh, whatever movie it was that came up, Nightcrawler. Maybe you'll, maybe it's Nightcrawler. <laughs> I think that's on Netflix, yeah. or at least it recently was. Yes. Yep. All right, Brendan, how about you? Uh, so as Kyle said, Top Chef has <laughs> been really fun this year. Uh, Top Chef Portland is getting into Restaurant Wars on Thursday, which I'm really, really excited about. It's always a great week on Top Chef when they get to Restaurant Wars. Um, also for my personal letter, um. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to get into next, but we'll we'll uh, we'll see. I think I'm watching Amadeus finally, and then after that, I'll see where I go from there. So I've never seen Amadeus, but Amadeus, Amadeus. I, I might have a review of Amadeus next week. Yeah. Uh, movie wise, I don't have anything on my like to watch list. I think I'm going to be busy with wedding related things this weekend, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there will be like some family movie time, especially with my brother back in town. I'm sure there's going to be stuff that uh he and i will watch um tv wise i am uh because you know times are not troubling enough i've been trying to catch up on handmaid's tale so i'm a couple episodes behind the most recent episodes it's it's not good i don't know i just watch it and i'm just like (laughs) but uh i don't know and then uh yeah i i'm criterion we have to watch um from a certain collection it's like that i think it's the african-american cinema oh, collection. pioneers of african-american pioneers cinema. of african-american cinema and the criterion collection which is a whole bunch of movies i've never heard of by people i've never heard of so mm-hmm. uh it's gonna be total like throwing a dart at the wall and picking one i think um, yeah i picked a movie based off of title called the flying ace yeah. that i'm really excited to watch yeah so um 
And, uh, you know, this is going to make Kyle groan, but uh, a little bit of NBA playoff action going on this week, this week too. So that's what I got coming up. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Nice. Uh, you could balance it out by in the lead up to this wedding that you're going to watching plus one, which I've recommended Ooh. a million and a half times. It's on my watch list. You'd enjoy. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, I'll be curious. Um, things are uh, very stressful at the house, right? even though it's, it's no big deal. It's just a wedding, but I know. It's, it's, okay. uh, well, it's no big deal off. to you because it's not your wedding. No, I mean, it's not that it's not <laughs> a big deal, but it's it's a small, you know, COVID-friendly wedding, right? Or not covid uh, COVID safe wedding, not COVID, definitely not COVID friendly. friendly. I knew what Four, you meant, but yeah. yes. It is 14 vaccinated people at oh, our yeah. house. So, uh, it will be, it will be very nice. Um, but at some point I'm going to squeeze in the rider and we'll be back here to talk about it next week. Uh, Chloe Zhao's first major movie. So looking forward to it. Kyle, uh, I, I know you don't use social media, but do you want people to follow you anywhere? I do. I want them to follow me on Letterboxd, DSIG80. And what they should do is they should follow up Brokeback Mountain by watching God's Own Country on Hulu. Then they can find me on Letterboxd. They can connect with me. We can interact on their review of it. I'm really interested what people think of that movie. And it's much happier than Brokeback Mountain. It's a great nice. follow-up. Go and do that and follow me, DSIG80, on Letterboxd. All right. DSIG80, that's where you find You also find him on Untapped, I think, with that same screen name. And I couldn't tell what he was drinking while we were recording this, but it looked like a nice tall boy. So Yeah, it uh, is a uh, an, uh, ale with apple juice, lactose, vanilla, cinnamon, and nutmeg. It's uh, a, nice. the, winning, the winning prize pie is the name yeah. of the but Not vegan friendly. It's one of those where I'd have to be like, oh, it's got lactose and I can't drink it. Sorry. That's okay. You enjoy it. Uh, all right, Brendan, where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at FidzyBrendan. Uh, you can check out everything over at Post Show Recaps. We should have another Star Wars podcast dropping earlier next week on episodes two, three, four of The Bad Batch. Uh, other than that, not much else going on. So my, I'm only four episodes behind on Bad Batch? Then? Correct. Well, okay. on Friday, three episodes. Will be, yeah. Okay. Three, three episodes for now. I've seen the first one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... Cool. Uh, you can find me at Brooks ZA. Um, my brother has a podcast called Digesting Cinema that I was just literally just on. We were talking about Joe versus the Volcano, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, I was it was very fun to watch that movie again last night and get to talk about it and be a guest. I'm not often the guest on the podcast, so mm. uh, that that was fun to be sitting in the guest chair or standing at the guest standing desk. But um, yeah. Uh, that should be dropping closer to when next week's podcast comes out. I think they usually release those on Mondays, but they're just pre-recording this one. So um, it was a super fun conversation. Check out Joe versus the Volcano. Highly recommend it if you've never seen it. So, all right. And that's everything we got. So we will be back next week to talk about the writer. Kyle, thanks for coming by for a main feed episode. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. And if you liked Kyle's voice, if you liked hearing him talk, check out our It's a Sin podcast a couple back in the feed. We'll just watch that on HBO Max and then come join us. So, yeah. All right. We'll catch you guys next week for the writer. Bye, guys. Bye.